probably did hate Mayo and we thought it was hate at the time because these guys are trying to take away our dreams. The Football Pod live Thursday, June 2nd in Castle Bar. Check out otbsports.com forward slash events and get your tickets now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, you're very welcome along. It's Monday morning, it's Churn Owen. We're here with you all the way through until 10. The Dream Team reassembles, Owen. That's what they told me. Who told you that? Well, uh, the YouTube commenter who says, no, get away, no party. He's my guy. He, he definitely does always say that on a Friday morning. And uh, I, I'm just waiting for the moment that he accidentally logs into the wrong account and... At your Gilroy and YouTube comment says no Gilroy, no party. <laughs> well, that would that would be quite the uh, turn up for the books, wouldn't it? Yeah. Would, uh, Wag of the Christie here. Uh, <laughs> we might talk a little bit about that later on. We probably won't today because there wasn't that much happening over the course of the weekend. Just a, a lot of very misogynistic comment in the newspapers. And yet it is the trial of the century, so I'm no doubt we'll re- return to it tomorrow. You've been gallivanting. You, you were in, uh, in all the way in Croke Park yesterday and you were in, uh, in the Tottenham Stadium. How would you compare and contrast? Which is the most beautiful edifice? Oh, well, Quote Park, obviously. Quote Park with its... Uh, mile of cheese. Mile of, yeah, with its mile of cheese. Um, no, like, I, I, I still think that there's... The, like, the beauty of Quote Park is when it's full and, like, people kind of complain about Quote Park when it's used for the wrong reasons and that it was definitely kind of brought up in the build-up to yesterday's game, wasn't it? The, the idea that these Leinster semi-finals were taking place there. I've definitely seen worse Croke Park atmospheres and it's become a bit of a pattern where we're kind of used to it. And, like, there's no better place when it's absolutely full. Um, but The two yeah. times a year that happens, great, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh, like, uh, and, and maybe it, it, to a certain extent, I actually, the, the fact that some of these games do take place in Croke Park is... It just doesn't help maybe the product that we're seeing or the, the way we look at the Leinster Championship in particular. Um, but I, I, I still I still love Croke Park. I still think it's, uh, um, you know, the, the the big day out in, in Dublin for, for fans. I think people do enjoy that. It, it will, it, I get, except it probably would have been better somewhere else yesterday, though. Oh, definitely, I think that it was a, a shocking decision. And they, I don't know why they wrote back on the decision that they were talking about previously where taking the games out was they were all up for that it's kind of one of those promises oh, we, oh definitely we can do that then oh, we're not doing that that would be ridiculous I'd love to see the maths on it just to see how much extra they think they made as a result of that or what the, the thinking behind it is and, and, and why do they do it it just doesn't it doesn't make any sense that you yeah. could have had rip-roaring atmosphere and maybe I don't know maybe you could give it home and away so that Mead get a game in Navin and would the game in Navin have been any different it probably wouldn't have but it might have been a bit more entertaining for the first 40 minutes we might have got 40 minutes out of it instead of 10 minutes which is what we got yesterday so yeah, it, was, it was like with 38,000 people in there like you, you could do a Kildare doubleheader with the 20s um, on, on Saturday even and the, like that way you could have put, what, 22,000 people into Omoor Park if it was available. I'm not even sure if it was. But one of those sort of stadiums in the, the early 20s, which probably would have been enough, would have been a little bit unfair in Westmeath, obviously, uh, having to, to go up against Kildare support that also has a, an under-20 game. But I think they'd probably get over that. There was ways around this. Like, 38,000 is not the worst crowd whatsoever in Croke Park. And maybe there was a sense that after what happened last year, the, uh, the Leinster Championship was back. I think we saw yesterday that it's, it's still not back. it's still dead. It's <laughs> still dead. It's like the op- it's like the opposite of the just when you think you're out they pull you back in. They pull you back in. It's just when you think you're back in they push you back out. That's 
That's my takeaway from yesterday. All right. It's 7.33 this morning. If you want to get in touch, the hashtag is OTBAM, at Off The Ball AM on Twitter. You can uh, text us 0879-180-180 is the number. You can text us if you want. Uh, old school text. Very few people do that, but occasionally we get a WhatsApp to that one and that would be grand. Uh, or, of course, you can leave a comment on the YouTube stream. But at 7.34, it's time for the Gillette Labs performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on the second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. That performance is just lacked that intensity. Where do we begin? We begin in the red, as we do every single Monday morning here on OTBAM on our performance rankings, and we will uh, progress through to uh, the green. We're starting off this morning with Waterford, who are at the bottom after a plot twist, I think it's fair to say, on their season. They were looking like the team that could topple Limerick at the start of this year's championship after what they did in the league. Even early in the championship when they got that draw against Limerick, the question was, marker laid down, how realistic will that be when these two sides inevitably meet in the Munster final and then again potentially in the All-Ireland final? The beginning of the trilogy is what we thought it was with Waterford and Limerick. And what makes yesterday's setback worse is that I think we all kind of want Waterford to succeed, right? I don't, I don't think this is like a, a Mayo situation where you've got people out there who don't want Mayo to what? succeed. What? Uh, I mean, what? Some, some people... I think everybody... Say that again? I, there are people who don't want Mayo to succeed? Who oh, are these yeah. people, Owen? Uh, I, I think there's uh, a lot of people who get a lot of joy out of uh, Mayo not winning, but... It's, are, you, are, you, are you one of those people? No, I've gone, you one I've of those gone to the bright side after being on the dark side for so, so long. Right, OK. Uh, but Sorry, it, 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 feels like, it feels like Waterford would be the, the, the most warmly received Gaelic Games drought story ending. Uh, that's, that's the, let, let's, let's paint it that way. So I, I don't think anybody's overly happy to see that Waterford's malaise over the last couple of weeks happening. And like that, that's what it is. And it's out of their hands now for them to even get out of Munster. It's like the same story as the last couple of round robins we've seen. Liam Cahill afterwards was fuming. We weren't good enough, simple as. We hurled like a car in dirty petrol, just chugging along. Just not acceptable. Not acceptable to the big Waterford support that came here terribly, bitterly disappointing. He also said, when the questions were really asked around the cut and thrust of championship hurling, we were more or less looking to the officials and out to the line rather than what was going on between the lines. That's a pretty damning statement of his team. It's very it's very damning. And it's very damning in that here was a home game where it was a team who they had just five or six weeks ago really done what you were supposed to do in that circumstance, not give a sucker an even break. They completely obliterated Cork in the league final and put Cork back to the point where we thought that maybe this entire thing was going to break up where we've had Cork pundits in studio and on air and you can only imagine what they're saying in Cork off air when it's not being broadcast about the Cork hurlers and they put Cork, Cork put in a brilliant brilliant performance yesterday so we should definitely uh, give them credit for that it was physical it was uh, well thought out it was brilliantly executed it was clear that the stuff that they wanted to do they were being able uh, allowed to do Waterford again had Austin Gleeson sent off where he was already in a book and then got sucked into a, a row. Now, he defended himself in the row and I have a lot of sympathy with the fact that he did defend himself in that and Gerard Hegarty also, uh, it seems, responded a little bit to the, the shithousing that he was uh, being subjected to. But like, come on lads, every brilliant key forward, every marquee GEA player in the country has to put up with this stuff and you either put up with it and you're still on the field when the game is in the melting pot or you don't put up with it and you get 
sent off because at the moment the, the, the referees are not smart enough to cotton on to what's happening and uh, we have this culture in GA where the, the lippy guy gets away with being lippy and in some ways is kind of uh, a bit of a hero so until that gets sorted out the rules of engagement are that you can't respond and when you do respond you get sent off and like you know Waterford played quite well in patches so 15 on 15 for the last 5 minutes 8 minutes of the game would that have changed things maybe it would it's it's really hard to know it did feel like um, that Cork bounce back performance the last couple of years was all coming down the stretch and they responded in kind and they've blown that competition wide open now you know it's very hard to know what's going to happen the fact that the other game was drawn Claire through to the final what does that mean did they rest their team well, it definitely gives Waterford a good opportunity. Cork are the team coming up against a team with something still to play for. Like Tipperary are back in the mix all of a sudden. And that game's on in Semple this Sunday. Those games clash, by the way, with the final day of the Premier League for anybody who's looking to you know, earmark how their weekend's actually going to play out this weekend. Those final Munster games both taking place at four o'clock this Sunday. You'd have to say that on paper, Waterford at the tougher fixture, but there's more on the line for Tipperary. So this thing is not done yet. And maybe this is the sort of path that Waterford need to take to get out of this group if they manage to pull it off on Sunday this sort of humbling experience that they've had to go through but I guess Austin Gleeson with what is it two red cards in essentially four games now in all competitions that's definitely a bit of concern for Liam Cahill I think if you're clear you play a B team this week why not? and as a result I think Waterford are actually going to go through well, the thing is, Cork could just go and win in Semple Stadium and it doesn't matter what Waterford do. It's, it's very hard to know what, what, what sort of um, tip challenge Cork are going to face. You'd, you'd suspect it'll be a tougher one than Waterford will face against Clare, motivationally anyway. Like, I can see why, why you'd say that about Clare. And, like, well, it's just the right thing to do. Rest everybody. Give, give yourselves a week's rest. You've got a monster final coming up where you didn't think you were going to be... Well, you didn't feel this year was going to be the, the year where you catch Limerick and all of a sudden you're right there with them. Yeah, you you do have a week off after that anyway. So like you've got two down weekends. So if you rest your team now, Claire, have two weekends off before. Yeah, but imagine somebody gets injured in that game, the meaningless game. Yeah, no, I get that, and you don't you don't want to, you don't want to get injured. Like just just resting everybody though. Like these are like good tune ups for later in the season as well. And like that's a that's very very good team that that Claire will be coming up against this weekend. Look, it's it's like it, it doesn't matter. I think I think that even if Claire were playing a full team, there will, would still be the thing in the back of their head where they're like, whatever we do today against Waterford we are going to be out on the 5th of June against Limerick one way or another so so I, I think that motivational thing in the back of the head you'd, you'd be favouring Waterford slightly again it's just down to what Cork will do and, and maybe Cork are the sort of county where if things are going bad things are going very bad but if things start to go good they start to go very very good yeah, yeah. and this is the sort of uh, rebirth. one big game and could uh, as you, yeah exactly could, could be the rebirth of this team I, I'm not sure if I'm rushing to that conclusion just yet I think what we've actually seen are some very high highs and very low lows for them recently which for any other team in the country or for the most other teams in the country we would say is actually just inconsistency but Cork we tend to read into this a little bit too much and say it's Cork they have an ability to you know go on this massive run um, I'll see it when I believe it and it'll be great to see Cork in the business end of the championship this year because they're a hell of a story yeah and they were both they were they were doing both in the game yesterday there were yeah. periods where Waterford were like oh absolutely brilliant and then it was like wow look at this where was this Cork for the last 15 years uh, Dave Cos says Wexford sorry Dave Cos says Waterford the Mayo of Hurling we haven't even talked about Wexford yet 
Wexford should really be in the red or Westmeath should be in the green. Yeah. Maybe Westmeath should have been in the green. Mark Dunning says, best for Clare to avoid any injuries or suspensions by picking a second string team. I would tend to agree. Like, uh, this whole thing about the integrity of the competition, the integrity of the competition is if you've already qualified, then you're entitled to do what you want. Oh, totally. That's, yeah. They're the rules. We don't make the rules. The rules are made somewhere else. And, um, you know, all oh, the round robins are amazing, but then there's always dead rubbers. And the, dead rubbers? What? Dead rubbers? How many of the games are dead rubbers? Yeah. No, like, I, I'm, um, that's not about the integrity of the competition whatsoever. I'm just thinking from Claire's perspective. Just with a week off anyway afterwards, because they just used this as a, as a kind of like last game before Limbering up for a challenge against Limerick. But like Claire Limerick in a, in a Munster final as well, after what we saw yesterday, I wonder is yesterday actually the real sort of marker from, from Claire in that maybe the Munster final isn't... I think, well, no, sorry. For Claire, the Munster final would be something that they will, they will obviously be really going after and they would love to win that, that trophy. For Limerick, it, it maybe has less importance, but then again, after being... Set back a little bit yesterday, maybe. Well, it's a weird psychological thing, isn't it? Uh, Paul Murphy was talking on the football pod about uh, the hurting pod, obviously not the football pod, <laughs> about um, 2013 and when they were beaten by the Dubs, they spent like ages trying to psychologically repair from that and they couldn't that season. Yeah. So these, these we think of these as like, ah, they'll, they'll just swat it away or men in black it and it's very difficult to do that. So, mm-hmm. uh, right. Yeah, just like just one quick word as you say on on Westmead there. That's like a brilliant result at the weekend. It, it's kind of reminiscent of of Leash beating Dublin, obviously in a, a knockout game that was in in, in twenty nineteen. But it, it does seem every couple of years we, we get a result like this. And the first thing I thought when I saw that result for Westmead was that this was a team that I'd watched play in the Joe McDonough Cup final last year, and they'd used that to to build and to get back to a place where they feel that they can take on some of the teams of Leinster and they've done that and they've got a result against one of the, the top tier teams not sure why that was the first thing I thought of but this whole notion of a, a second tier competition in GEA that's what you can use it for to build momentum to actually play play at a level that, that suits you to get confidence to, to, to beat teams uh, week in week out and then you'll be ready the, the following year to actually uh, is, challenge top teams is, is the is the fact that the hurling league is so divorced from the stuff that really matters is that not something we should be talking about a bit more? Like, hurling is nearly fixed. And everybody says hurling is great. And it is better than football in terms of its structures. But why don't they just go the whole hog and have the, like, have some kind of a league conference situation where, you know, you still have your, these competitions, but there's some other competition where the top teams play each other. And then the best six go into an All-Ireland series. Isn't there a better way to do this still? Just don't play the league. Just replace it with a kind of more... A well, bit, keep your keep your, keep your Leinster and Munster Championship, but then have yeah. a third conference, which is interconference, where everybody plays each other. Like, scrap the league, but it's championship from the get-go. Wouldn't that be better? It could, it, it could well be. Like, there's definitely a few of those kind of, like, cross-provincial matchups you'd like to see. Like, it, it's it's just very messy at the moment with the situation in Munster and, and with Leinster, where Munster is just completely fenced off as this super league almost, and... Obviously, if, if there was a Munster winner, there can only be one Munster winner from the Joe McDonough Cup. It's, it's very, very unfair. They'd have to go into to Leinster. And Leinster is obviously just a bit weaker, considering that's where the teams are, are coming up and down from. So that, that geographical imbalance that we see in football in a more pronounced way is, is definitely still there in hurling as well. But the hurling league definitely seems to be... Anyway, too much good stuff for me to uh, sideline this whole conversation on uh, fixtures. Nonsense. Apologies. Two loser next up. This is obviously our uh, avenue to get into Leinster, but just on Toulouse very quickly, um, the Irish Times went through some of the French reaction to the defeat 
I'm sure you'll feast on this and you have been feasting on this, Ger, over the, the last couple of days. Well, if, I mean, you're very... Uh, this is this is. I'm calling Munster bias bullshit putting them in the red. There should be a, a special blue section which is top of the table and it should be Leinster. None of this. Oh, Toulouse weren't very good, were they? Oh, they were very disappointing, weren't they? Oh, it's terrible that Toulouse didn't show up and, and didn't perform. Screw you, buddy. They were beat, Toulouse were bloody beat, brilliant for like 15 minutes. I mean, okay, their defence was good. They scored an outrageous, like the perfect terrifying fear try and Leinster were like no big deal we don't care go on give me give me the reaction here explain why these are in the red uh, a lesson in rugby that Toulouse rarely receives is the headline in Le Figaro yeah uh, they wrote Leinster shines with its organisation its style of play programmed and recited off by heart cold efficiency the hard learning of the very high level continues for the golden generation of Stad Toulouse in pain this time then there was also Le Keep. Uh, Toulouse could never express themselves, always retreating because of pressure and undoubtedly paid for the excessive energy of their quarterfinal last Saturday against Munster. See, Munster did soften you up. Like Keep said it, the most important sports publication in the world. Toulouse were only a shadow of themselves, a striking contrast with the Irish, who were aggressive on the advantage line and always perfectly positioned. And then lastly, they said, uh, Leinster's combinations of alt- alternating play testify to the perfect knowledge the Irish have of their game. In comparison, Toulouse's game seems telegraphed. So yes, this is like a win for Irish rugby. Let's just forget about the fact that this is a Leinster win. This is just this is praising Ireland and uh, the Irish rugby culture that we have in this country. Was it ten it's a win for everybody? Ten of the starting team that played against France in the Grand Slam decider, as it was as it was built. Yeah, not not a bad performance. Not a bad weekend's work. Yeah, no, they're, like they're they're excellent. Leinster, Leinster, were absolutely excellent. And the uh, the deja vu conversation that we felt there was a chance we might have been having just isn't going to happen now and then that was with regards to power and whether or not Leinster would be able to, to handle it in the, the latter stage of the competition that Toulouse pack was obviously excellent against Munster the previous week but people who know a lot more about it than I do were saying that Leinster have fixed those issues and that definitely came through at the weekend and it's probably going to be something we see in the final as well because of the double whammy of Leinster being better and Will Skelton being out for La Rochelle well, Le- Leinster will very much fancy their chances in that final I think people f- do forget too that it wasn't the full Leinster team at any stage they never managed to deal off a full deck No Sexton in last those, year in No Sexton but also Andrew Porter was on the bench Caelan uh, Doris didn't start um, there were a few others who were out as well and their strength and depth wasn't as good last year as it needed to be so they fixed a lot of those issues their strength and depth could still do with a, a little bit of um, a boost but at the same time they now look like a squad who are hopefully going to be able to deal with the issues that are coming their way a big big caveat to that is Tyke Furlong the immediate post-match is like this doesn't look uh, like it, it's season ending so let's let's wait and see and, and see what comes back from that because it's a very different scenario if Tyke Furlong is playing and if he isn't yeah to, like I've kind of got come to this uh, stage as well, where Ty Furlong just turns us all into uh, people who love dad jokes. Like you're you're sitting there watching Ty Furlong, and you're like, "Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it," and you end up tweeting, "Oh, Ty Furlong's a midfielder. Ty Furlong's a back." And it's like this is like the four hundredth time I've made this joke because Ty Furlong keeps doing things like this, but it's never not funny, of course. He's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah, like if he's missing for the final, obviously it makes it more interesting. Leinster won't want that, but he's uh, obviously the the unreplaceable uh, aspect of all of this. But Leo Cullen seemed pretty okay with it in the aftermath. He was like, "That's uh, it's, it's nothing to be overly concerned about. We should have a, a fitness bulletin from Leinster, I think, this afternoon." 
Uh, good morning, lads. Are we sort of begrudging Leinster rugby as we need to be underdogs? It's other teams underachieving when Leinster were just that good, and I'm not their number one fan, but I'm Irish. Yes, Shifty, correct. Fergus Kill says, yes, Jared. Hell, with poor Toulouse. Praise Leinster's brilliance. I mean, uh, this is the mealy-mouthed performance rankings brought to you by Munster's Owen Sheehan today. Go on, praise Leinster's brilliance there. Go on. But they were sensational. Like, oh, they were absolutely sensational. Brendan O'Brien on the papers yesterday made a great point about um, how Lancaster is kind of the de facto Ireland coach in that he coaches the Ireland players day in, day out and that keeping him involved in this whole setup where they have the, the national style which is obviously brought to you by the brains trust of Paul O'Connell who's, who's there but under Andy Farrell's guidance and Andy Farrell's definitely been very important in giving everybody that freedom at international level to express themselves they're bringing that back to the club the club is like clearly one of the best coached best run organisations in the history of Irish sports like if Leo Cullen gets the CEO job and Stuart Lancaster gets the head coaching job that's kind of a dream scenario isn't it? Yeah like I mean because then you're going to have Lancaster for as long as he wants a job yeah, you've got to keep these guys in the Irish system and I think everybody's going to be okay with that one way or another because, as we see, Leinster and Ireland have such a close link-up in terms of playing resources at this point as well that even if there is no eventual gig with the IRFU, which a lot of Irish rugby fans will want, being involved with Leinster is still a pretty good contribution to, to Ireland as a whole. Um, what do you think of the Toulouse jersey? Asks Shifty Lads genuinely. Do you like these things, lads? Uh, I actually can't remember. I was too busy watching the game. It's, I, I'm... I'm you could, you could tell me. You could ask me now what color Toulouse are playing in. I'd be like, uh, well, uh, <laughs> Leinster played in their blue. I, I mean, what, what was, what was unusual about it? I'm the last person you want to be asking about this when it comes to. We, we've been through this when it comes to jerseys, when it comes to uh, colors the teams are wearing. I'm, I'm not the guy to ask. Uh, my kids were very interested in the pink warm-ups that um, Leinster had. I was like, I hadn't, I hadn't seen them uh, too often in the past, but. Uh, so it's the red jersey, the the normal stereotypical red jersey. The one with the, there's like a black stripe down the middle of it. I can't even. I don't know. Um, but yeah, is good, that red, red, happy? red versus blue? Good. Yeah, generally, absolutely. Are we happy? Well, actually, red. So why didn't Chelsea wear blue on Saturday? That that I did notice that Chelsea were wearing fluorescent yellow rather than blue, uh, and uh, neglecting the fact that they could be red versus blue. Um, are we happy there? Are we happy with, like, I mean, your... Yeah, yeah, you're done, you're done, you're done. No, your appraisal of Leicester's brilliance. Is there anything else you want to say? Any other... Uh, Toulouse jerseys are very nice, I, ha- I have to say. They're they're very nice. They're like... Um, there's a, a black and white kind of Newcastle stripe down the the breastbone. And, you know, the Peugeot sponsor with the, the cool lion logo. But uh, who cares? We beat the crap out of them. Screw you, Emil Entomac, and... Uh, handsome assassin bastard Dupont screw you all mm. we killed you yeah yeah, absolutely uh, very very happy for you and, and your boys uh, next up in the amber this morning we have Manchester City who've given us something to think about next weekend like this final day of the Premier League season is going to be pretty good I, I suspect there will definitely be a title race on the line unless uh, Liverpool managed to drop points midweek but you're channeling your inner Nathan Murphy here are you yeah, yeah, I'm I'm going for that. I think yesterday was a, a significant enough moment. Like, I definitely would have been interested to see what would have happened if Michael Antonio well, decided Michael to Antonio. not be like. So, I mean, what? I don't know what happened there. Like, I mean, he obviously takes it very quickly. He's not even close uh, with with the effort as a thing, and he looks so devastated afterwards. I'd be, I don't know, I, I'd 
that that was the opportunity. Like I, I think Liverpool against Southampton with their reputation of shipping huge tallies would have been interesting had Manchester City been beaten by two goals yesterday. But as it turned out, it was it was a draw. Fabianski keeps this thing alive. Uh, Riyad Mahrez misses a penalty again. Obviously last season that miss against Liverpool doesn't feel too long ago. And like it just keeps this thing going for a little while. I get the sense listening to Manchester City players afterwards that they're not overly worried about this. Jack Grealish laughing at the fact that it's going to be Aston Villa on the last day of the season. But what do you think? Are your boys going to going to gift this thing to Liverpool? I mean, just just for a moment, picture the fever dream of the Liverpool fan every night this week, getting longer and longer and longer. You know, early in the week is just the first five minutes, and it's still nil all. But as as the week goes on, somehow Steven Gerrard intervenes with some. Magnificence. Some Philip Coutinho has signed his deal. He's now a permanent Aston Villa player. Philip Coutinho, who basically set his whole thing in motion by asking for a transfer and giving Liverpool the money to sign Virgil and Allison, it comes full circle, and the ball falls to him with two minutes left to go, and it's nil all. And Philip Coutinho skies it over the bar. Oh, oh! How did it happen? Is that the fever dream? Uh, possibly that would be very very funny I, I hope that happens No, as, be, as, be, as much be, as I want to see the drama like if this Coutinho zero assists and zero goals in the last eight games but they've decided they needed to sign him anyway the thing is like the Coutinho commentary would just be like Aguero in 2012 and, it would be amazing and it would be Manchester City who get done on the final day of the season and a full knee slide in his suit from Stevie G <laughs> and the Villa fans kind of reluctant to celebrate because they're like hang on a second why? You're very excited about this. Yeah. You're very, very, very. I mean, we're excited. Yay! Why is he so excited? Why does this mean so much to him? Uh, I mean, does this mean matters. he's going to leave if he gets really good? Do we? We're kind of trapped in this weird scenario where we want Stephen Gerrard to be like good, mediocre, not good, great. Because if he's good, great, he's going to leave. But if he's good, mediocre, Liverpool won't give him the gig. It's like a kind of oh, don't reach your ceiling, please. Maybe, maybe, maybe your ceiling could just be like. Seventh, never top six. Well, what, so you're you're talking about him there as if like his ceiling is, is is very very high, and as if like Aston Villa are like protecting this guy and is trying to keep him a secret. Nah, did I? Was that what I said? Well, it just, it just seems that way. I don't know. I mean, they, let's wait and see how well they do in the transfer window. We'll see. And give him a full season, I guess. But yeah, like, like yesterday makes things a, a little bit more exciting. Um, and like, and like we're going to have something to, to think about more or less that you'd expect on on Sunday. Like, uh, it's interesting that it is interesting that City blew the chance to win it, and they went two 0 down before they woke up. And like, uh, they got a lot of help from West Ham. <laughs> they got a lot of help. It was Mayo esque from West Ham in the All Ireland final. Uh, two own goals, really, like a penalty and um, a, a, a bad own goal as well. Like, not one of those ones where you're like, oh, I totally understand what you're trying to do there. It's like, if you just don't touch that, you know, the only the only thing that you can do there, head that into your own net, so maybe, maybe don't do that. Um, maybe I'm being unfair in West Ham. They did very well. Much better than most teams have done against Man City. So, um, I don't know. Uh, Manchester City in the Amber after that performance yesterday. In the, the green, we've got uh, Dublin football and we've got Liverpool. From their relative performances over the course of the weekend, you might just like we, we, we skip on to Liverpool just since we're on this yeah. topic. Like, I mean, it's already I suspect without whatever happens over the next couple of weeks, uh, one of these great seasons for 
Liverpool fans, one that they're not going to forget too quickly. And um, like I mean, Saturday there's you can make an argument that maybe Chelsea deserve to win it, Liverpool and um, their their inefficiency or their inability to create an, an extra time maybe is an argument for that. But I'm, I'm not sure if I necessarily buy it. It felt very similar to the Carabao Cup final where if there was a winner throughout the match, you might have thought fair enough. But um, come penalties and come that Sadio Mane miss, I actually did think it was going to be Chelsea who were going to win it. That Thomas Tuchel moment where he's banging the ground with his closed fist in celebratory mode like uh, to, to come back from that in the end where the Chelsea fans were and for Diogo Jota in particular to, to bury that penalty uh, that took cojones and uh, obviously Simicast with the, the, the finishing penalty an unlikely hero on FA Cup final day um, it, it obviously did it's it, it's so in the lap of uh well, it's obviously not in the lap of the gods because they do all the work on the penalties, but like I presume Chelsea are doing similar work. So, um, you know, they've they've kept it alive. Is that is it great that they managed to keep it alive, or is it a little bit concerning that the injuries are starting to pack up, pile up, and the performance wasn't great? Well, let's just come back to your point and your argument with Nathan last week about what Liverpool actually do with the available playing resources. That if Van Dijk is in the amber fitness-wise, if Fabinho's in the amber fitness-wise, if Mo Salah's in the amber fitness-wise, are you playing them against Southampton tomorrow night? No. No, that, the league is gone. Like, I, I know you've put Manchester City in the amber, but like, it's not like... But it's not gone. Like, that's why they're in the amber. It's the very definition of still being alive it's before really, this weekend. It's really not, though. Is it? Like, it's Villa at home that they have. Yeah. They're a three to five goal better team than Villa. I'm literally just about to check what the the odds are in this game, but are they three to five? Like the, okay, the, the odds will be Man City minus two is uh, seven to five. Yeah, I, I like it. Just, it I just makes it a little bit interesting, and the, the fact that Manchester City missed an opportunity that can sometimes destabilize a team. Like the thing is, we thought that Manchester City would be destabilized after what happened against Real Madrid, and then they went out and smashed Newcastle United that weekend, didn't they? So uh, they seem to have uh, an ability to forget those things quite quickly because they're they also rested. They also rested. Like again, again, Pep no subs, which is totally weird, very bizarre. Again, no subs, and uh, Foden didn't start. So like, yeah, so they'll have a fully fit uh, Phil Foden to come into the team next week, and like uh, Sterling didn't get any minutes yesterday. Gundogan was on the bench, wasn't he? And he, he didn't actually come on. So, like they, they have, they have pretty much a, a fully fit squad available to, to choose from. And like, I mean, it, it would of course be a shock if, if Aston Villa took points off the next weekend. But it just makes it interesting. It, ju- it just keeps us going till the final day of the season. Liverpool at home to Wolves. I'm not saying don't watch it, but I'm saying that like if you're Liverpool and you you get injuries now in these last two games, and then you lose the Champions League final because. Salah's injured or Virgil van Dijk is injured or Fabinho's injured or all three of them are injured like if all three of them are gone or there's doubts about them how confident do you feel about them being able to beat Real Madrid in a one-off game I don't feel particularly confident about that like the Champions League I know I know they've, they've said from an emotional perspective they want to win the league in front of their fans and they want to have that homecoming in front of their fans and they want to be free post-Covid to celebrate a league properly and I get that there may be one coming in the future because Jurgen Klopp is staying and they've loads of money but like the Champions League is right there for them. And winning another Champions League elevates them into all-time great territory. Two Champions League in a couple of seasons, in three seasons, in a beaten final at the start of that run and like really a very regretful COVID two-legged defeat. Like they're, they're definitely one of the best teams in the world at the moment and therefore one of the best teams 
potentially of all time like win a second Champions League and you write your name in history that's the put the put the chips in the middle of the table for the game against Real and go for it no one will ever regret that they should also be able to beat Southampton without those players. So it, it may not necessarily be a black and white decision. And also, you're what, one, two, three days away from those injuries being sustained. Not in the case of Fabinho, but in the case of Van Dijk and Salah. Are those guys actually going to be available to play on Tuesday night? Probably not. So it, it, it may not be a, even a, an either or. It may be let's go for both of these. And the Wolves have literally nothing to play for in the last day of the season. So like you're going you're gonna to stroll those games anyway. Like... Yeah, uh, like the thing is, it's just it's just Southampton the road. If that game was at Anfield tomorrow night, you'd be just a little bit more confident. But if they get through that Southampton game, then it's um, it's it's obviously very much game on in the, the final day of the season. And wasn't it um, to, in the twenty eighteen nineteen season or was it seventeen eighteen um, when there was City versus Liverpool? Like City did go behind, didn't they? Or they conceded early on that final day of the season and made things just a, a little bit edgy. There was no problem in the air for them; they did end up clinching the title, but. Strange things can happen on the final day of the season, as, as Manchester City know very, very well. Uh, finally, <clears throat> the Dubs. Um, they are good at football. They are very much one of the favourites for the All-Ireland Football Championship. They are into a final, and they will have to beat the Mighty Kildare to retain their title in a couple of weeks' time. How do you feel about that? Um, well, I was looking it up there as well. Dublin 7-1 to one on. Uh, wow. The spread is 6 Double minus six is evens. Um, Caldera plus six is uh, 11 to 10. So, spread of six, I think. I think uh, for the rest of the country, unfortunately, Dublin are back. Um, and they have a level of conditioning that they appear to have this year that they didn't seem to have last year. They certainly have a, a, a purpose about them. They're playing with that anger, that chip on their shoulder that only seven time All Ireland champions can have, which is so weird because, like, they have all the gifts that you need to be seven-time All-Ireland champions and still a little bit chippy and a little bit angry. Um, so, yeah. That um, puts the cat amongst your power rankings, doesn't it? Not really. I pretty much said that Kerry and Dublin are the two best teams in the country and I don't think we've seen anything over the last couple of weeks that have changed that. I, I, don't, I don't understand how anybody can still cling to this notion that Dublin aren't in the top tier. Can we just go back to the league when everybody was telling, telling us that Desi Farrell couldn't coach? Can we just remind everybody about, oh, are they getting good coaching? Is this a good team? Is This this team's rubbish, isn't it? They're, they're, uh, they, he, you know, like, it's, it was like, I think Desi Farrell has proved to be an excellent coach, right? He won All-Ireland the first time out. He's got exactly the same track record as Jim Gavin had at this point. He's going to go All-Ireland win, All-Ireland defeat in a semi-final. And now five in a row. Like, I mean, you know, I don't think they're going to do five in a row because I think Kerry are, are too good. But, but the, this Dublin team isn't as good as the Jim Gavin team. Like, it's, po- it's possible for those things to both be true that Dublin are still. But isn't, are, it, isn't it also possible that Desi might be also an excellent coach? Like, very, very possible. He, uh, did, like, he did win All Ireland in COVID with almost no time to work with the team. Yeah, like they were coming from the base of being All Ireland champions. It's true, yeah, it's true. I mean. Five time all five in a row all Ireland champions. They're the best team in the country by a distance. Uh, like I, it, t- time, will, I do still think that like time will tell how, how this thing will go. I, I I just think one thing we can be clear on now is that Dublin are absolutely one of the favourites for the All Ireland as opposed to some sort of also ran who, who who may 
have a puncher's chance in a big game. They don't have a puncher's chance. They will absolutely be close to being favourites in every single game they'll play between now and the end of the season. And I think I think the odds are actually changing before our eyes because yeah. of the quality of the performance and the, the fitness of the players and the individuals. Like, when James McCarthy didn't start the first game, I was like, ooh, what's the story here? But then, obviously, that... He was brilliant yesterday. Things changed. <laughs> he was like, absolutely class yesterday. They were just bringing him back. They were just managing his <laughs> minutes. They were just doing what, like, Leinster and Ireland do. They were like, okay, we, we understand there will be times later on in the year where we, we need you to be at your very best. And, like, you know, generational footballer, him. Generational footballer, Fenton in midfield. Generational footballer, Conor Callaghan. And maybe Kilkenny reaches the, the position of being a generational footballer. That's the backbone of your team right there. Definitely like, think Kilkenny could be able to shout at getting like a, an individual uh, footballer of the year sort of gong soon. It, it felt last year was um, maybe one of those moments where you thought Kilkenny's definitely making more of a contribution on the scoreboard. Maybe the stats don't back that up. I, that just kind of is how it felt. And yesterday, maybe it was a f- five points he got all from play yesterday. So he's definitely contributing more on the scoreboard. The one, the one thing that you would be getting hope from if you were uh, Kildare is just... The, the amount that Dublin conceded yesterday while being very, very comfortable. 114 was what they conceded at the end yesterday, which is a pretty big tally considering this felt like 2020 when they absolutely destroyed Meath. But what they conceded was not like that at all. In fact, it's been five years since Dublin have conceded that much in a Leinster football championship. It was a 2017 Leinster football final against Kildare where they conceded more than 114. So they've gone through five years of not conceding that amount in, in this competition, and they did yesterday. So that defence is definitely... I think they won that game by 10 points as well, didn't they? In yeah, oh, don't get me wrong. They absolutely ho- hockeyed them, as they did uh, for the la- everybody for the last 10 years. Right. But that, that's the one nugget of, of hope if you're still there. 1A, 1B in the performance rankings, we're saying. They're on a tier on their own at the moment, and then Derry are third, are they? Is that We'll have to wait and see. Um... Shifty Lad says, brilliant, Jernon. I never noticed jerseys, only it was great. They were red and we were blue. That's Shifty, who two minutes ago was telling us, I'm not really a Leinster fan, but now he's we were blue. Uh, Welcome aboard the bandwagon, is all I'll say to you. Uh, O'Toole1905 says, lads, I'd love a rule to be in. If any cup final is nil all after two hours, the cup goes back on the shelf. No winner, no parade. (laughs) Everyone go home. That would make them play and compete. Yeah. I kind of like the build-up of the tension over the, the penalties. Or, yeah, or, or even just throughout the, the 90 to 120 minutes, just the, the real sort of tightrope nature to extra time, one mistake, and it could all be over. Paul McGee says, this week is when the hope kills you, hoping Jura's mighty villa do us a favour on Sunday. Thoughts on O'Gara versus Leinster? It's kind of sickening for Leinster to be like, oh, it's going to be O'Gara again. Oh, no. Uh, O'Gara versus Sexton will... Uh, uh, there might be a narrative around that in the build-up to this game, perhaps. Uh, John Claffey says is West for La Rochelle that bad at goal kicking all year round or just in the pressure games we get to see near the end of the season it was the same last year Damien says I'm surprised that La Rochelle's goal kicking with Raj as coach was it uh, Rugby Pass or Rugby Ladder one of those had a picture of uh, O'Gara looking down going at the pitch going get me in my boots lads uh, Connor Pratt says surely Farrell wants the top English gig at some stage I don't know I don't know I mean I think the likelihood is that Andy Farrell is going to be the Ireland coach for this World Cup cycle and the next one. Uh, Robert Maul says, enough structure talk. Hurling structures aren't much better than football. It's just a better sport and spectacle. I don't know. We'll come back to that. Well, it was quite the weekend for Liverpool. No better man than Mark Lawrence to talk to you about it. Mark, good morning to you. How are you? I'm all good, thank you. What kind of a hangover do you have today as a matter of interest? I have got a hangover, but how do you know I've got a hangover? Well, because it was a big weekend and I'm sure you were celebrating. All uh, right, yeah, I was, I'm in Mallorca now, so I was. <laughs> I, 
Uh, well, let's let's focus on you just for a second there. Uh, totes emosh. Again? Were you totes emosh? What's that mean? Oh, it's what the kids say when they're like, um, you know, very emotional. It's called totes emosh. All oh, right, right, William. As you can tell, I'm not down with the kids, so I have no idea. Um, no, I know I, I, I made the decision ages ago, so I just didn't tell anybody. Um, it was actually, I mean, they're going on about 25 years, and it's actually, I think my first gig with the BBC was 31 years ago, and would you believe it was a. Uh, it was a radio game, and it was Peterborough United one, Liverpool nil. A massive shock. So, um, some game to start with. Had you already finished playing when you started, or were you still playing when you were doing a bit of radio uh, work? No, I was finished. I was finished. I think it was about, about ninety-one or something. No, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd already finished. So, and did you love it straight away? Um, yeah, probably did. Probably did. I mean, it was. I'd had. No training, they just say come, come and co-commentate. I mean, it was. I mean, you know, over in Britain, it's Radio 5 Live, they do all of the football, but it was Radio 2, I think, in, even in those days. So they hadn't they hadn't kind of progressed to Radio 5 Live at, at the time. Um, um, I, I'm, I, I know ITV got the highlight rights very early on in the Premier League years, but I'm fairly sure yeah. that you and Hanson were the double act when the Premier League was kind of peaking or starting to come through and the money was starting to come through on the BBC, which was, you know, great timing on your part and on the pair of your part and that you were very firmly established as main Saturday night football show being watched by millions. Two main idiots, yeah. Well, listen, (laughs) don't forget Trevor Brooking, there was three of us. So um, I came and joined, I think Jimmy Hill basically um, finished and then uh, it was was Trevor Brooking and Al and then I, I was like the third person, so obviously we used to rotate and stuff. So, um, yeah, no, it was a right place, right time. And, I mean, as I saw from Saturday, some, some of the bloody shirts I used to wear on the te- on the telly were, were, were just mad. But, hey, a fella used to write into me every week, absolutely slaughtering me every single week. And he said, and the, and the Gokwan had just arrived on the scene. I think he's like, he's a fashion guru, isn't he, or something? He said... I'm going to get you an appointment with him and all that. It was, it was so funny. But you wrote to me every single week and you just go, wow, get a life. Did you ever have that appointment with Gokwan? No. It's not yeah. too late. I mean, that would be, I, I think everybody would watch that now, Mark. No, you're all right, boys. Honestly, <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> he, did, he did a series How to Look Good Naked, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Now it's, oh, more, now it's more cookery stuff, so you'll be all right. Yeah, well, well both, listen, I'm stuffed on both. Both completely no chance. I can't cook anything. Well, listen, congratulations on a great innings. Like uh, most Thank people you. get a couple of seasons and um, and they shuffle off, but you managed to keep it going for for that length of time. That says something. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was it was fun. It was like you know, I mean, Tony. We should have, we had Tony Blair on one week and everything. He was great, him actually. Um, but uh, he couldn't remember his. I don't think it was. He couldn't remember what his first game was. Well, he knew it was Newcastle. He couldn't remember who they played against. But I suppose. We gave him a bit of a leeway because he was he was the prime minister at the time. He had probably more important things to think about. Not right, doubt it. Uh, <laughs> did you do predictions? Did you do predictions against Tony Blair? No, no. Who's the predictions? Have only come in in I think the last ten years or right. something. Who's the most high-profile person you've gone predicting against? Um, I think I did at Schwarzenegger. Uh, Will Farrell, um, 
quite a few of the Americans who obviously knew absolutely nothing about it. But they, <laughs> they must, they must, they must, a bit like myself, they must have had a, a film or, or there's loads of music guys as well been been on there and everything. So obviously just to promote stuff, which is totally understandable. Um, but yeah, and Schwarzenegger swore at me. I think he told me to f off, as just as a bit, just as a bit of fun, because he's a blue, isn't he? He's an, he's an Evertonian, but obviously they bleeped it out. The BBC being the BBC bleeped it out. So, as um, you know, for for anybody who missed it, you you were asked, uh, oh, what's the main difference kind of between nowadays and your time and. You talked about the teetotal footballers today, but it was different in your time. And I think the story involved a famous goalkeeper, Bruce Grobar. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just it was just one of those many things. So um, I, you know, when they asked me the question, I suddenly thought, "Crikey, I'm, what's your last day?" Because there's so many you couldn't really repeat. But he he was nuts, as everybody knows. Good goalkeeper, but he was nuts. But in those days, I think we used to go to Southampton. It'd be six hours on a coach. So. As long as we drew or won, we get wine and beer on the way back. You take it from under the coach and bring it up up to the, the seats and everything. And being stupid footballers, we only had one bottle opener. And somebody, so we started off. We got the beer and the, and the wine, and the boys are taking cards and all those kind of things, killing the six hours and, and what have you. And the music's going. And uh, suddenly, everyone's gone. Who's got the opener? So we couldn't find the opener. To this day, I don't, don't know where it went. So they went, well, we're absolutely stuffed. We can't open the Budweiser's or, or, or whatever they were. So Brucey actually said, don't worry, I'll sort it. So the first thing he did, I didn't have enough time, obviously, to ramble on on the telly on the Saturday to say the first bit, which was he, op- he opened the, the, uh, the beer with his teeth, which I think loads of people, I've never done it, but loads of people have done it. It wasn't a great shot, you know, and we just looked at him and just thought, well, he's nuts anyway. And then he, he just his famous words were, I've got a better one than that. And we said, what are you on about? He said, I've got a better one than that. And we said, what? He said, watch this. So he put it, he put the beer bottle in his eye socket and twisted it. And it opened and it cut the top bit and the little bit there. And I think, and we're all looking at him thinking, oh my God, he's not really just done that. And I think it might have been Hanson, might have just went, well, you don't need your eyes, do you, the way you're playing at the moment? <laughs> On, on we go, Matt. Absolutely bonkers. Can you imagine that now? Alison did that on the on the. Oh my goodness me! Yeah, his peripheral vision no longer any good, which would explain <laughs> some of the goals flying in from odd angles. Um, it, talk to us then about the penalty shootout. When the the game reaches that point, what's your level of confidence that it's going to be successful for Liverpool? And, and does that waver at any point through when it looks like maybe this isn't going to go their way? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's fifty-fifty, isn't it? I don't, I don't care who who you play against. Any team, it's it's fifty-fifty, and you know you don't know you don't know what your goalkeeper's going to do. He might suddenly he might sell this thing. I'm going to dive for every single one, or or pretend to dive, or all those kind of things. Um, so, I have to say, the standard of penalty taking nowadays is is really really good, and um, you know that when you look at them, the goalkeepers actually make relatively few saves so it's your heart's in your mouth in it when when they take them I must admit I'm delighted that Simicast scored because um, I know from just obviously being being around the club and, and, and working for a, a TV channel and stuff he's a he, they absolutely love him and he's, he's a bit nuts he's a bit I think he's a bit Bruce he's a bit, he's a bit nuts he's, one of the, he's just one of those lads he's always like hyper and everything so 
Um, they're, they're all be delighted for him, certainly. And by the way, he, he can play right back or left back if you need it. And every time he comes in, he just it just looks really easy to him. I, I maybe it's coincidence, but it's funny that it's like mm. the off Broadway players, like it's him and the last penalty shootout is Cuevin Kelleher. Who, yeah. who are are getting the praise on the day and who everybody seems really, really very happy for. Like, look, they've just won a trophy, so obviously they're going to be happy. And yeah. and maybe we read too much into the body language and the celebration afterwards, but like that unity of purpose, that group, it does seem really very together. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you get you get a you get a good dressing room with outstanding players, and you know, you you've got trophy winning teams it's easy as that I mean in the morning on Saturday I was at, I was actually at Wembley for about 10 in the morning I mean what's that nearly 6 hours nearly 7 hours before the game started and, and stuff but um, Liverpool do this thing where they, they came they came to uh, to Wembley got off the bus and just walked around the pitch and apparently it's I think it's a little bit kind of stretched the legs without you know, too many people around, but also a little bit of superstition, I would have thought. And they were just, it was like they were just going out for a morning stroll. Well, well, they were going out for a morning stroll and just acclimatising themselves with, with whatever. And um, I think, obviously, Klopp leads the way and they're all laughing and joking, walking around and all those kind of things. And you can just tell with teams when uh, when when they're all kind of in the right, sort of pulling in the right direction. And, and I mean, certainly Liverpool have got that at the moment. Do you feel Liverpool played well over the course of the 120 minutes? Um, all right. I know. I, 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 I mean, when it started, I thought, "Crikey, they're going to win three, four, or something like that." But I think that uh, I can't remember a, um, a cup final like that where there were so many misplaced passes. When, when, when you consider the ability of the players, I just think it, it kind of petered out a little bit, and then you, you get to the, the the part where it's. You know, you don't want to lose, do you? You don't want to be the idiot that makes a mistake, whether it's an open goal or defensively or all those kind of things. And I think in the end, and we just, it, it was inevitable it was going to, to extra time and pens, basically. There wasn't that many clear cut chances, were there? No, it was obviously Luis Diaz is, is the, the, the main threat throughout the game. And the, the, it looks like the, the person that can do the most amount of damage to Chelsea anyway. And like, I mean, mm-hmm. we've spoken to you in, in the past about just what an incredible signing he's been. But it does seem that he, he's, I know Salah's off the pitch, but it does seem almost at this point that he's, he, he's Liverpool's most potent threat when Salah's yeah. out. And if like we don't know what the Salah... The length of that uh, absence is going to be, but maybe for for Southampton tomorrow night, maybe for this weekend, Diaz is the person you're putting all your hopes on in that attack. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I somehow don't think that Salah or Van Dijk will play tomorrow uh, at Southampton because you wouldn't. I, I don't think what they've got is serious, and, and probably if it was a Champions League final tomorrow, they'd be played. Well, not probably, absolutely certainly. But I, I wouldn't mind betting. Klopp might just leave them out because obviously you know he can he can go with the Canati and uh, Matic partnership, and anyone else can come in and play. Obviously, instead of Mallard, some, uh, instead of uh, Salah. So yeah, I would. But you know, I just heard I just heard you say before. I mean, they would still have a team good enough to beat Southampton. I would have thought, and if they don't, well, they don't. It's it's interesting that you say that if there was a Champions League final tomorrow, they would definitely play because I don't know just. 
again, we, we don't know what the full extent of the injury is, but it just kind of yeah. feels a little bit reminiscent maybe of 2019 and obviously Tottenham being without their main attacker for that final. And in hindsight, maybe Pochettino wouldn't have started Harry Kane uh, in hindsight. Again, this is possibly a very, very yeah. different situation. But is there anything in that, about, you know, that, that kind of that recent example of, you know, putting a, a reputation before a player's actual fitness? No, I think I think I think it's just the fact that I mean, the, you know, every the tired. That's one thing. They, they played so many games, and you know, normally I, ne- I never give them any any stick for whatever. But you know, they they, they are tired. You have to, you have to give that to them. So I think the club will probably think, you know, what is it? Is it really worth taking the chance if he plays Salah and Van Dijk? Um, and, and what if they aggravate what they've got? So I think it's, it's just a precaution. But that's why I say if you've been if you've been the Champions League, finally you, you, you play your strongest team, don't you? You forget about everything else; it's secondary. Um, I, I also think that there's a difference this year in picking a player who you have a doubt about in the final, and that you've got five subs to use. So, like you know, if if they do have to go off injured, you can use the full range of your squad and so like it, it's worth that risk when we're talking about those players if it was kind of a an average player in your team you'd be like well I'm going to replace him with an average player but we're talking about like the best striker in the world and the best centre back in the world so you've got to pick them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so um, you know that as you said the beauty of the five subs etc and, and and I mean Klopp's talked about this lots but this I, I would say in all my time that I've what 81 I joined Liverpool and all that time since this is definitely the best squad the club's ever had in terms of strength of depth. I mean, they've two players for virtually every position. And um, before you shout at me, I mean, Joe, Joe Gomez can play right back instead of Trent. Obviously, wouldn't be quite the same, but he's, he's, you know, he's still a very, very good player. And everywhere you look, of course, Simicast can play right back as well if you needed him to. So, but every, everywhere you look, you'd say... You know the, the, the cover's excellent. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be a weakness. And, I, and I've said to this before with him, with, with Klopp, it's just you know this clever thing of just having everybody together and saying, you know, to a player, look, you're not playing tomorrow, but you're going to play on Saturday, whenever the next game is. And so you don't get anybody knocking on your door saying, why am I not playing? So. You know, one, one, it's, it's all right having a, a really top squad, 20-odd players, all vying for the position, but keeping them happy is, is difficult, but he seems to be able to do it. For the Champions League final, if Van Dijk is fit, who do you think will be his central defensive partner? Well, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm Matic, but um, it's looking like Canati. Canati seems to play in the cup games, seems to play uh, in Europe. So... And he's just he's got better and better and better. I just think my my thing with with Matip is that I just think he gives you a little bit extra. He gives you everything that uh, Canate gives you, but he'll come out with the ball and it, and he will sort of engage midfield players, certainly the the uh, Madrid midfield players. And I just think you know it makes it a little bit easy for your midfield players because a little bit more space because they're drawn to this guy who's coming through the middle. And, and 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 you know dribbling, so that's that's the thing. But, but listen, it's um, it's there's not a, not a big difference between the two of them. It was nearly the perfect weekend when West Ham were two 0 up against City. <laughs> yeah. If they could just yeah. have seen that through, then it would have been uh, ball game back on. So uh, Riyad Mahrez ends up missing the penalty that would really have won the league for City. Uh, you know, um, in all yeah. that name, he's done it. But he's got he's got previous, hasn't he? 
he does. He, he he's also been, I think, a big game performer for them. Um, yeah. Somewhat underrated in that galaxy of stars. But is it important? Is that is that drop point important? I mean, it certainly keeps Liverpool dreaming. Yeah, I just keep, it keeps keeps them dreaming. But I don't. I mean, I think we all expect City to win, and um, and even though you said before that you'd expect that Liverpool would win it at Southampton, even missing some of the top players, you, you just never ever know, dear. And I, and I and I, as I said to you before, I never really give people that you know, oh, we're tired, we're tired, and all those kind of things. But they, they actually, the last few games, they've looked a bit leggy. Um, you know, people like Salah, etc., who just started to look a little bit leggy. And when I say leggy, just without that real sharpness that makes all the difference. And um, I mean, Southampton are one of the teams you never know what you're going to get from them, aren't you? It's, it's their last game, obviously, at home as well. So um, I think they'll certainly give Liverpool a match, a game, certainly. And if there's any free kicks, as we know, outside the penalty area, um, your man, Ward Prowse, is, is brilliant at them. Unless it's nine nil, in which case we're, we're you know we're, they're due they're due a nine nil this season. Yeah, they haven't got one. I, I, I did the nine nil at Old Trafford uh, last year. Um, yeah, but they probably are. But um, they got a good manager actually. I think he's a good manager. Asil Hootle. Is there anything you saw in Manchester City's performance yesterday that would give Liverpool hope? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, let, let's just go. No, okay. let's, 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 like, let's, they were two 0 down. I think you're right, though, right? And so I think two 0 down, but they killed back. Yeah, yeah, and should have won it. You know, I mean, and, 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 and you know, they've got they've got no defenders, haven't they? So, but I mean, well, and, and well, listen, yeah, so you say well, that, but they they'd Aki on the bench, right? And I actually think that like uh, he gets a bit of a free pass for the building of the squad. The, the depth on the bench wasn't good enough against Real Madrid there were a lot of kids on the bench and sure this is the whole point of having the world's greatest academy of all time apparently and investing all that money yeah. in, in the coaching and, and buying all the best young players in the world to come to the Man City Academy but they still were young players who had no experience and again so he, he had Fernandinho who's leaving at the end of the season as a centre-back yesterday with Aki who we keep getting told is is ready to step up but isn't trusted I, I just think that sometimes Pep because he's Pep gets forgiven any of the errors where the squad isn't yeah. good enough. I uh, know he does. He does. I mean Aki's Aki's a decent player, but he's not he's not top, is he? So Ferdinand, how old's Fernandinho? Is he nearly he's nearly forty soon, isn't he? <laughs> but if you really if you really think about it, is that if if you play against Manchester City, um, for most teams, you probably get thirty percent of the possession. So if you think about that then you have to score. You have to score with your 30% possession because they, they will have 70, they will have the ball. And generally, you, you know, you're all like, it's 4-5-1, you're sat in there and you know, you make, you're trying to make it really, really difficult for them. So, um, but no, I just think the fact, the fact they were 2-0 down and they come back, I wasn't surprised by that because they're, they're just such an outstanding team. And Steven Gerrard and Philip Coutinho won't be able to do enough between them to get a point for Aston Villa on the final day of the nah. season? Well, I was, at, I was at Villa Park on Tuesday and to be honest with you, Coutinho, I didn't really see him. Um, the game passed him by a, little, by a little bit. But I know it'll be against... the. I think with Coutinho, against any team outside the top six, he'll be outstanding because he'll get a bit more of the ball and, and obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's very, very good at it, but... Against the big teams, he was. I just felt he was a little bit uh, of a non-entity, to be honest with you. But I understand why they've taken him. 
Yeah, and they've ended up getting a reasonable deal for him in the end. Um, yeah. Just a quick word on the, on the relegation situation, because it looked like at various stages we knew what was going to happen. You know, yeah. eight weeks ago we would have said Norwich, Watford and Burnley are going down, and then Burnley went on their run. And it uh, looked like they were getting themselves out of trouble because Leeds were in free fall. And then at the weekend, Leeds just managed somehow to dig something out and now have a point advantage over Burnley, who play Villa uh, midweek before the um, final game of the season. So, um, and then Everton, of course, looked like they were going to be okay because they've only got yeah. they've only got Brentford. Just don't get just don't get a man sent off in the first half against Brentford. You should be okay. And um, I don't know. All of a sudden, it's right all in the melting pot again. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, <clears throat> I, I just thought Leeds Leeds were going to go. Uh, latterly because they're playing angry and you, you can't play football you know you can't play angry football it, it, it doesn't work for you and I mean you know if you, if you look at uh, is it aliens sending off uh, James was it got sent got sent off as well and you, you look at them and you just kind of think well they've, like, they've got that wild look in their eyes but I didn't I didn't see um, yesterday I hadn't realised for, for a long time I just thought obviously we're getting beat by Brighton I thought they'd stay at 1-0 so that mean that that uh, last minute equaliser was, was a breath of fresh air for them, but it's it's one of them, isn't it? I mean, they could they could all go, um, as in anyone from the from those teams could go. And I somehow, I somehow once once Burnley stopped the run, I kind of thought, mm, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder now if actually you know it's levelled off a little bit, and, and and they might just go. But don't don't Burnley have Newcastle? Last game at home, is that right? I'll tell you exactly now. Burnley. I think so. I, think so. I mean, yeah. Newcastle played tonight, but I think, and, you know, if you were told beat Newcastle at home, <coughs> excuse me, last game and you stay up, um, that, that would be somewhat of an incentive, would it not? Yeah, so look, I guess it's the any of those teams at this stage could still get sucked yeah. into it, and it's hard to yeah. make any one of them favourites under the circumstances because. Well. Yeah, and you don't. I mean, we keep. You know, we're talking about sending offs and all those kind of things, and and we've got far decisions that will come into play. And I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure that you lads will know. It's. I seem to think this season I have never ever um, seen so many late goals in in the Premier League or the old Division One or whatever it was. It seems to be almost every week there's a, a ninety plus six minute equaliser goal, whatever. So. Um, that's an interesting stat. I don't do stats, but that is an interesting one. I mean, how does that work? Is it just because everybody's shattered? Probably, yeah, probably. But I mean, shattered or <clears throat> loss of concentration, maybe. Um, but it, but it is it is it is unusual. I mean, look, I mean, Brighton had a spell, didn't they, where they kept scoring very very late, and it wasn't once or twice. It was like it seemed to be five or six or seven times in in in, in a succession. Yeah. It, it does kind of feel like this is the first time we've hit kind of like a or about to hit a, a lull in club football since July 2020. Like it, it has been a long time coming, but it also kind of makes you think that you'd wonder if you know that the Premier League at the start of next season will maybe have a different look to it. Like I mean, we, we often get bogged down in the here and the now in Manchester City and Liverpool being so amazing and so far ahead of the pack, but with an actual proper off season for the first time in a couple of years, you'd wonder actually could, could there be a, a shift. Uh, at the top of the table, maybe in terms of other challengers, other people who might make it a bit interesting at least next season. No, I don't no. see it. Okay, I really, I really don't see it because, I mean, I think they need too many, too many players. The teams you're talking about, so we're talking what Man United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, aren't we? Basically, 
Um, I don't, and too early for Newcastle, although they will improve, but it's going to take them a while to get anywhere near. So, no, I don't, I, I, I don't really see that. And I mean, you know, talked about the depth and the quality in, in Liverpool's squad. Um, City might add a couple more. You, you know, you know what they're like. They've obviously taken your man, and that's going to be interesting to see how they play with Haaland because uh, I think when you when you see a lot of his goals. There's a lot of green grass between him and the, and, and the goalkeeper generally. Um, City don't really play that way. They have so much possession and they play little rinky-dink passes, don't they, in and around the penalty area. So um, he's, that's going to be interesting um, to see see what he does. I mean, he's, he's going to score goals because he, he can and he's a beast. But it be interesting to see how, how, how they cope with him and he copes with them. And especially with, with Guardiola, as you say. Um, sometimes does make the odd strange decision in terms of selection. What's the ceiling for Conte Spurs if he's got an actual off-season to work with then? Champions League football, if they get there with a squad that's already pretty strong. Like, I presume they'll be looking at Chelsea at least saying, we can be better than you next season. Yeah, I would think so. And obviously Arsenal also. Arsenal still a bit skittish, aren't they, as, as we know. And, and, and Tottenham can be, but... Um, I'm told. I'm told that uh, the players actually really, really like Conte, um, and there doesn't seem to be anybody anybody that doesn't, and they, they really believe in him. So the problem's going to be what the chief executive is going to give Conte in terms of money to buy players and bring them in, isn't it? That's yeah. that's that, that's always the thing at Tottenham, and and whether or not he'll be there. Um... So it's going to be Got very Conte. Yeah, I think I think I think he'll be there. I, th- I think. I actually get the impression that he's grown to like it. I think maybe when he did, he, did he only sign for I don't know eighteen months or 18 something. Eighteen months, yeah, I think so. Right. So um, I, th- I think I think he's grown to like it. I think when he first signed, I was a little bit like he's thinking, well, I'll do this for a while, and then if something else crops up, off off I go. But um, and I don't think it's easy working with with Daniel Levy, but. Um, they must have some kind of relationship, and I think the head of recruitment is Italian, is he not? Yeah. So there's a there's a buffer there between Conti and and, uh, and Daniel Levy. I just think sometimes Conti says things just to see what reaction he gets from upstairs, and I think that's the thing at football clubs nowadays for managers is is you've got to you've got to manage the team, but you've got to manage upwards as well. That's all part and parcel of it. And I know. That uh, Fergie said many, many years ago to, to anybody who would listen that was managing in the Premier League, he was saying to them, when you do your press conference on the day before a game, he said, that's when you get out what you want to get out. He said, because that's your big chance. You know, somebody asked you the question. So, um, and, you know, it's not it's not just getting your team to play every week and, and win games. It's, it's the whole kabang, shebang in terms of dealing with everybody. Everybody, I mean... God, these fellas must be so harassed all the time because somebody wants a piece of them. Well, listen, uh, Mark, I hope you enjoy however long you're in Mallorca and uh, we'll see you again real soon. Cheers. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back Friday. There's no peace for the wicked. There you go. Nice one. Congratulations on a great career, by the way, too. Thank you. It's Mark Lawrence who gave us the sauce this morning. Uh, what do you feel about Arsenal? You're obviously, you're their, the opposite of a lucky charm. You, you go and they get absolutely annihilated in the London Derby. Does anybody think that they're going to get three points tonight? At I would lo- look, I'll be straight up 
Sure, I would absolutely, I'll go full Kevin Keegan here, I'd absolutely love it. I would love it if Tottenham didn't get top four at this point. It would be so unbelievably funny if after last Thursday night, Tottenham actually didn't get top four. After the poxy penalty they got yesterday, that they didn't get top four. It wouldn't, it, like you have to accept that would be hilarious. That would be way funnier than Arsenal's implosion. And I accept that, no, uh, other, uh, I accept that Arsenal imploding is funny for people that aren't me, but. But, uh, I, but, but they were rubbish and they have got really good since they made big changes in the middle of the season. So it's not, I, I don't expect, if Conte manages to get them top four, that's a great achievement. Whereas Arteta should really have this team nicely, safely tucked up, snuggled underneath the Champions League blanket for next season. Yeah, but that's like that's a different conversation entirely. I'm talking about the the comedy of the last couple of days that Tottenham looked like such a superior team to Arsenal, and you know rubbed it in Arsenal's faces. Arsenal are bottlers or chokers. They let the occasion get to them, and it would just be so funny if Arsenal still finished ahead of them. Okay, I see the Arsenal fan narrative uh, has overtaken you. That's fine. It should. It should. So you don't think? No, what's narrative? What, what's narrative? You actually want to? to well, the truth. I mean, the truth is, it's still Arsenal's. Arsenal just have to go to Newcastle and win. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not sure they will, though. It's in their hands. Yeah, I, I think that there's like a, a significant amount of psychological damage that's been done on last, last Thursday night, to be honest. So I don't actually expect them to do it. What will happen tonight? I think it'll be a draw, one all draw. Okay. Um, and that would... That'll be curtains, then. Unless Tottenham somehow uh, don't win against Norwich in the final day of the season. Yeah, which, which is, is going to happen. There still is... I mean, is, is a Chelsea freefall... Is it impossible? Chelsea Leicester. That's on Thursday, Wednesday night. Yeah, no, I, I think I think if Arsenal are going to catch Chelsea, they'll have caught Spurs as well, you know? Yeah. So I I don't think you can hope for, for Chelsea at this point. But that, Tottenham maybe could potentially catch uh, Chelsea, Chelsea Watford on the last day of the season, which yeah, is so yeah, going to be pretty easy. Watford now, yeah. The London Times have the story that Andreas Christensen asked not to play in the FA Cup final. Right. That's mad, isn't it? Yeah, that's and what's the what's because he's leaving. He's on his way out. He said he made himself unavailable. Interesting. Werner also unavailable. He, he was uh, unfit according to to Tuchel. He left the team hotel before the game. Members of the Chelsea squad are believed to have been surprised and confused. He's only twenty six. He's been at the club since twenty twelve. Joined from Bromby's academy. Bromby. And uh, and that was it. It was like no, I'm not playing. I'm not playing the FA Cup final. Like why not? At that stage, it can't be fear of injury. Can it? No, I, I don't know what I don't know what it is. I don't know what Andreas Christensen is thinking. He he obviously wouldn't have been in their maybe their very first choice eleven for a lot of the season. There's obviously uh, a departure coming in the heart of their defence over the next little while, like with, with Rudiger out the door. It was interesting listening to Rudiger actually on Saturday saying that uh, there was maybe a chance for him to stay at the club if it wasn't for sanctions on Chelsea Football Club, which is uh, pretty hilarious uh, considering he turned down a deal at Chelsea. I think. So, like, there's there's an opening there for a central defender, but it looks like Christensen is is maybe considering his options as well. Right. Okay. Eight forty two. If you want to get in touch, oh eight seven nine one eighty one eighty is the WhatsApp number to celebrate bringing the football pod on the road. We're giving you the chance to win two tickets to join Tommy Rooney, Paddy Andrews, James O'Donoghue, and special guests at the Royal Theatre in Castle Bar. All you got to do to be in with the chance to win is tell us who this mystery GA voice is. Jesus Christ! They don't even care about it properly. Are they? They're not giving it the respect. Uh, you can comment with your answer on our live YouTube stream now or tag us with your answer on Twitter at OffTheBallAM. Right, here's Westmead's hurling boss Joe Fortune saying that their stunning draw salvaged at the death with Wexford at the weekend was one for the ages. 
I thought we were the better team though did you I thought all along there was never like Mac got the ball out in the end there and I said jeez he'll break Westmead Hearts here now if he had to put it over the bar but I just thought for the whole game we looked more up for it we looked like we you know our touch was good Niall O'Brien I thought was fantastic inside Jogger Jesus what a man like, you know I should build a statue of him in Westmead lads I'm telling you you know he's just he's colossal you know Dar Egerton and Roy O'Connor so I thought it was really really good like Shane McGovern first start of the championship was asked to mark Dermot O'Keefe and I think O'Keefe went off after 30 minutes like you know yeah, so yeah. look I can't commend them. You leave people out when you mention people, but the work rate, like Niall Mitchell going up and that, and you probably heard me roaring at him, get back up the field. And I wanted him up there because I thought when Derek came in as well, like Derek made a difference, claims the goal. Yeah. You know, like there's still life in that man yet. Like, you know, um, I look, I'm just I'm just a happy man. To, I actually don't know how I feel because, you know, you're, you're caught in emotion trying to get a match won. And then you've got people, real genuine Westmead people who came to me and said that for the first time in 50 years, they're proud to be Westmead GA people, and that's, that means an awful lot. Like you know, yeah. But you look, the reality is Wexford were going. Everyone was talking about how Wexford were going to a, a Leinster final, or you know, it's, the funny thing is, sometimes it irks those players inside. But maybe they're used to it growing up. You know, I was a Dublin manager against Westmead, and Cormac Ryan, who's cycling across, begins a cycle across America tomorrow to raise um, awareness for suicide prevention and for. Um, eating disorders. He was part of a backroom for a number of months there, and he actually spoke to the lads one night about how the only team that Dublin ever feared coming up was Westmead because he knew they were such such passionate people, and we knew coming here that nobody would give us a chance. And we spoke about that all week. And look, I can't commend them enough. I've said it to you on many occasions. I'm just I'm a happy man tonight, but just at the same time conscious that we have such a big job ahead next Saturday night. And you can have all this, and it's great, and you know it's hugely. Um, Huge, hugely proud night for for Westmead people, but it's we have to get the job done next, finish next Saturday night because How was injury worries for next weekend. Asher Jays, like they're, they strolled into the dressing room, they're not a bother on that. If we had lost the match, I'd say they were, they were, they were look, we'd be in the lake. The funny thing is, like people think, geez, that's great for Westmead hurling, but like those boys will be in the lake tomorrow morning at eight o'clock, like, and they'll be in that lake for half an hour and they'll get the recovery done, they'll eat, and people don't see what they put on hold, you know, for to be an intercounty Westmead senior hurler. And there's days where you'd question why you'd want to be one. But today is one where they got the answer that they can, if they apply themselves, they could achieve something special as a group, you know. Okay, 8.46 this morning here on OTBM. That's a very happy Westmeath hurling camp right there. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, some breaking news this morning. We're in the midst of the draw for the Talchin Cup. Yeah, so the fixtures that have been confirmed so far. So the preliminary round draw... Uh, these games will take place next weekend. So Wexford against Offaly and then Wicklow against Waterford. And the winners of those two, those two matches will play each other in the first round proper next weekend. So this is in the southern section. So it's Wexford or Offaly against Wicklow against Waterford. Then it's Carlo versus Tipperary and Leash against Westmead. So that draws uh, ongoing at the moment. Leash versus Westmead. So they're uh, trying to finalise that draw at the moment. And obviously there's a northern and southern section. So we can really section. rally the troops for Leash versus Westmead. It's very exciting because that never happens. And Wexford Offaly literally did happen a couple of weeks ago. Every two years. The Leinster Championship. So there's a repeat Leinster Championship matchup in the Talton Cup because obviously there's been a geographical restriction placed in this competition. And I know that this was made a big thing of last week. And um, that means there was some blowback to that being like, you know, this has been in the rules for a long time. Yeah, OK, it was. But no, yeah, but no one it, paid any attention. Yeah, nobody paid any attention. It, like, it doesn't make it automatically the right thing to... Mm. To, to, to run this thing Larry McCarthy has said that the reason for the north-south split is to enhance the competition by enhancing local rivalries and to avoid travel costs that's the, the reasoning for it So didn't, didn't the government end up giving the GA loads of money and didn't they end up uh, with the books looking pretty sweet in the aftermath of Covid ultimately like isn't that what happened 
that the government stepped in and subsidised everything and said, don't worry, we know everything's going to be grand. And so the the massive debts that we thought were going to be racked up didn't actually happen. And so therefore the travel cost thing, like we're not talking about flying to Australia. We're talking about getting a bus. Like it's we're two buses to travel an extra couple of hours because you're still going to have to get buses. So you're just giving them an extra couple of hours work. The travel costs are not massive here. Travel costs associated with GAA is mileage given to players because of the amount of training sessions they do. That's why those figures at the end of the year look absolutely crazy. Um, and occasional overnights. So maybe there'll be an overnight. Uh, but it's a championship match. It's supposed to be the, like, the, best, the second best competition in the country. It's supposed to be the Talchin Cup. You have an opportunity here to have fixtures we've never seen before. To add a little bit of spice. But instead, it's fixtures we literally see year in, year out in the provincial championships, which everybody agreed are bullshit at this point. Nobody's interested in the Leinster Football Championship anymore. And here we have the Leinster Football Championship redux. It's like watered down, variation, same thing again. What's the point? Yeah, we got Cavan against Down. Oh. And Sligo against London, so that's their two provincial. Oh my god! Oh, in fairness, sir, you're wrong because we got Leitrim against Antrim, and we got Longford against Fermanagh, so we got some cross-border uh, rivalries coming there. But yeah, like it's it. There, there will be it, it will be interesting to kind of see what, kind of all the the various sort of approaches to this from different counties. Like it definitely feels like Westmeath, just from my own experience yesterday, they'll definitely be going after this, and Cavan I'd say will be looking to to go and win this. So. Hopefully the, the the teams themselves do make kind of a, a big deal of this and, and it is a, a significant competition for them over the next little while. And generally speaking, I think the reaction has been quite positive. If you consider the post-match stuff from the likes of Andy Moore and Tony McEntee and a lot of the managers that have come out in support of the Talchin Cup that they will be taking it seriously. I saw John Mohan said that he travelled down to Offaly training after that loss to Wexford and he was... I guess not 100% sure what the reaction of his players would be and then driving back to Casabar he was delighted that they all were fully bought into the prospect of playing in the competition and trying to win the, the competition and I, I think it has great potential um, But the geographical spread makes no yes, sense but that, that argument about local rivalries makes yeah, no sense it, yeah. it just makes no sense it doesn't hold water we have a provincial championship and now you're saying this thing has to look fairly similar to the provincial championships I don't know if this is somehow trying to shore up the power base of the provinces. I don't know why this was uh, introduced as part of the... Bear in mind, the Talton Cup predates COVID. Like, the idea of it and the concept of it. Was it already was it already baked in at the start? When they were thinking of a second-tier competition, were they like, oh, better make sure that, like, it's um, fairly close to the provincial stuff in case anybody gets any ideas, you know? Mm. We'd hate to see, like, a county from the north playing a county from the south. That way it might be chaos. Or might give people a sense of what actually could be possible. Uh, it does feel very sort of uh, 2020, 2021 National League. Uh, should we tr- run through just the full draw now that Over it's uh, yeah, complete? Yeah. So the Southern preliminary round, Wexford against Offaly and Wicklow versus Waterford. Then the Southern round one proper is Wexford or Offaly against Wicklow or Waterford. Then Carlo versus Tipperary and Leash against Westmead. New York have a bye into the quarterfinal stage. Then the northern section, round one, Longford versus Fermanagh. It's Leitrim against Antrim. Sligo take on London and Cavan against Down. So that's the first ever Talton Cup draw completed this morning. And is it week on week or is it... Um I think the primary round is this weekend coming um, and then the following week we'll have the first round proper. So... Uh, that's the the schedule at the moment as it stands um, and I guess 
There is the danger on the weekend after next. If you consider that Saturday, we have two provincial football finals. You've got the Heineken Champions Cup final and you've got the Champions League final. And then the Talchin Cup uh, going to be involved there as well, whether they're on the Saturday or Sunday, I'm not sure yet. Uh, they'll have to be fixed, obviously. But that's going to be one hell of a sporting weekend, one way or the other. And when, when do we find out? Sorry, you probably just said it there, but I was just reading some notes. Uh, when do we find out about the qualifiers for the uh, Sam Maguire? Presumably they're next weekend. Um, or they're, the draw for that is next, uh, after next weekend, should I say, yeah. I would imagine. For the first round of the qualifiers, yeah. and then possibly the, uh, then the round one will actually be played on the bank holiday June. weekend. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then you're you're really into it then. So um, yeah, I think that look. I mean, I, I take on board the the points that you make in terms of the geographical split isn't ideal, but let's see how the competition unfolds. Maybe before making a full uh, assessment of where it's at. But we obviously will have the round robin next year as well. Uh, which is going to liven up a little bit more too. A geographical round robin, how great that would be! <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, there might be a little clause in there. Thankfully, it's not due to be a geographical round robin. It is, isn't it? Uh, n- it oh, now I'm being put on the spot. It, there's definitely it, you're being rewarded because of your provincial championship um, finishing places. So, like your top two and your, your your finalists for your provincial competitions will get seeded into your four team groups. So but I don't think it'll be like Kildare and Dublin in the same group. I think Kildare will just be a two seed. Dublin will be a one seed and an open draw. Oh, you're, sorry, you're you're. Oh, we're talking Towson Cup. I thought you were talking all oh, round robin for the Talton Cup. Yeah, sorry, I think you meant round robin for the actual championship. I think the round robin for the Talton Cup will be geographically separated next right, season okay. as well. In which case, yeah. you'd basically be having the provincial round robins. Yeah, except with like it's not, it's not great. like the, the one with re- an arbitrary north south line, the Mason Dixie line. Yeah, but uh, to 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 Cahill's, uh, to Cahill's point on like the that Super Saturday of of sports where um, like you have the the Heineken Champions Cup and the Champions League on uh, like that that for me is kind of one of the the more frustrating aspects of all of this. Like I, I embrace the fact that there's all this sport going on at the moment, but the, I, I think the GEA should possibly be embracing that challenge as well and thinking right, okay, let's make sure our product is the very best thing it can possibly be as we're going up against all these things. Like sitting in Croke Park yesterday. I felt like nobody cares about this. No, because it's, it felt sad. It was I like, think the venue. I I think you're wrong. But I think that having the game in Croke Park was nonsensical in the end. Because if if the, if there had been a throbbing crowd, like if Kildare had to go to Westmead for that game, which there's no reason why they shouldn't have, do it home and away. Do home and away with all the counties, mm. and then over the next period of time, until games have to until it gets so big, until until you have an All Ireland champion who isn't Dublin in a Leinster semi-final and then you go okay lads sorry this is such a big game so many people want to see it we're moving to Croker and you can get have the next two home games but if that game had been in Mullingar what would that have been like? Yeah it would have been, it would have been better I, I still um, it would have been full I still am unsure if it would have been something that people would have cared about Do you remember the Luxembourg do you remember the Luxembourg game that we played was it Luxembourg? Where we and the like 8,000 seater stadium was absolutely full Yeah, and it was tight and the Luxembourg fans were making loads of noise the game was much better as a result of that yeah like I and I accept that, but my point isn't actually about what the spectacle was. I still think that there would have been a degree of apathy around the country for those games because they're playing in a competition where we know who the winner is going to be, and that for me is is like one of the, the issues. And I know like it's the right. millionth time that I've You're said right. it, and we've had this conversation again, and I hate to be coming back to it, but like it's just it, like just kind of like looking at some some of the counties and the lack of games between like the end of March and essentially the middle of June or the, the lack of games of meaningful quality in a split season 
that those problems that we've been speaking about for years are getting compounded and they're being made worse. And the worst thing about it is that there is apathy now. It's not about people being angry about championship structures anymore. Nobody gives a damn and it felt that that was the case Scorp Park yesterday. Joe, in our YouTube comments, makes the point that there was only 4,000 more in the Aviva for a showcase match versus the crowd at Croker. Yeah, it's a fair, like I thought 38,000 was actually uh, a decent chunk of people yesterday. It does get relatively lost in Croke Park, but mm. also what helps make it get lost is that Meads were dead after five but minutes. half shuffle in, half shuffle out. Kildare and Westmead don't stick around, so it's no. not actually 41,000, 38,000 in there at the whole same time watching... The, th- the one thing no but also the Aviva is a smaller stadium so like I mean that kind of plays into the point of put that crowd it wouldn't be 38,000 but put half that crowd into a stadium that's uh, even smaller than half the size of Crow Park and all of a sudden you've got a much better atmosphere yeah for example like the Limerick and Clare hurling match yesterday in Cusack Park and Donalog Cusack made the point on the Sunday game about I think there was only 18,000 at it but it was packed to the rafters yeah. and they were all on the pitch then afterwards in a real sense of occasion about it so it does show the benefit of having those sort of games now obviously that's a, a clear team in form against the All-Ireland Champions um, and a really tight match that it was but it did show the potential in having those sort of games in provincial grounds and how, how will Sligo feel about London? Mm, well I mean at home right? First yeah, team out? yeah, yeah they've been drawn out first um, Look, I think there's there's very little in all of those games when you consider like Cavan and Down. Cavan are probably starting out as favourites in that competition, but Down did ply their trade in Division Two, albeit they've they've lost a few players from their panel and they didn't perform particularly well against Monaghan in the Ulster Championship. But um, on the face of it, Leash and Westmeath, Westmeath would probably be one of the other favourites um, in the in the southern section that they start out in. So I would say Westmeath and Cavan probably the two strongest teams from the outset. Antrim will fancy their chances, I think. Um, they've had a quite quite a good run under Enda McGinley and maybe will feel that they haven't uh, achieved all that they might have had given some of their form in some of their matches. And then obviously Offaly will, will certainly have uh, the bit between their teeth to bounce back against Wexford and then potentially move on from there. But I think Temporary Cavan final, is that what we're all saying? Like, is there is there a possibility for Westmead to be in there? Yeah, well, Westmead, Tipperary and Offaly are all on the same side of the draw in the southern section, so... Westmeath, yeah. Cavan final. Westmeath, Cavan, I think, yeah. If I, if I was predicting it, but yeah, typical tip good shout as well. Yeah, because Westmeath have been very unlucky. I mean, they were unlucky to get relegated in the league last year, if memory serves, and they should have beaten Kildare last year in the Leinster semi-final. Right. And they weren't bad yesterday either, so let's see. All right, anything else from you? Uh, well, let's run through some of the uh, other stuff. Obviously, one game in the Premier League tonight, that's Newcastle against Arsenal from 8 o'clock uh, this evening. That game at St. James's Park. There's one game uh, here at home as well. That's in the SSE Electricity League First Division with uh, 3D United playing Longford Town. That game kicks off at a quarter to eight at uh, Markets Field. In terms of the Premier League action yesterday, Manchester City still in control of the title race. They came from two goals down to earn a two-all draw with West Ham. That point keeps Pep Guardiola's side top and four points clear of Liverpool. Liverpool do have a game in hand however at the other end Everton missed the chance to secure their status following a 3-2 loss to Brentford Leeds out of the bottom three thanks to a 1-0 draw with Brighton Burnley now in 18th after their 1-0 loss uh, to Tottenham a record crowd at the Women's FA Cup final yesterday just over 49,000 people watched Chelsea complete the double they beat Manchester City by three goals to two that game went to extra time uh, in golf last night Porrick Harrington just missed out on a first Champions Tour major he ended in second at the Regions Tradition Tournament in Alabama Steve 
Stricker collecting the title there. He finished six shots ahead of Harrington on 21 under par. Both players carded final rounds of four under par, 68. K.H. Lee took the honours in the Byron Nelson Championship last night. That was on the PGA Tour. He finished on 26 under par, one shot better than Jordan Spieth in second. Seamus Power, the Irish interest there in the final day. He finished in a tie for 17th on 18 under. Irish interest too at the LPGA Tour's Founders Cup. Stephanie Meadow finishing in a tie for 68th on one over par. Minji Lee the winner there on 19 under. She was two shots clear of Lexi Thompson. Irish interest at the Women's World Boxing Championships this afternoon. Four Irish boxers in quarterfinal action. Michaela Walsh, Amy Broadhurst, Lisa O'Rourke and Carly McNall are all in the ring in Istanbul later on today. So that's uh, a flavour of what's happening in uh, sport today. Carl, good stuff. Thanks very much for that. That's uh, Carl Milani with that. You can hear more from Carl uh, on The Brief. You can subscribe to that on the OTB Podcast Network wherever you get your pods. And the best place, of course, is the OTB Sports app, which you can get for free in the app stores. It's bang on nine o'clock. And a reminder, OTB AM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Alan Quinlan is with us. Alan, good morning to you. How are you? I'm good, Jared. Thanks. You uh, correctly predicted... 20 points for uh, for Leinster you were close enough bang on um, it was one of those games where it was a signature performance from Leinster which will be great if they win the competition but which will be quickly consigned to the dustbin of our memories if they don't so uh, what do they need to be worried about and Ronan O'Gara and, and La Rochelle over the next couple of weeks probably Ronan O'Gara and uh, his motivation and desire and um and probably going to going to France as well. It's going to be different going to Marseille. Um, they're in a great position, aren't they? They they can they can rest players this week again. Be really fresh going into that final in Marseille on Saturday week. And um, I don't think they have too much to be worried about. I think um, the only the only thing that can happen when you're when you're firm favourites to win any any sort of final is complacency and. Maybe things going wrong on the day, but uh, I think they're too good now, Leinster, for that to happen. Um, I think for La Rochelle, the match against Racing yesterday was was really poor spectacle. Lots of mistakes, lots of errors. And I think the impression that everyone is getting now is that it's going to be very difficult for for La Rochelle to stop to stop Leinster and stop their momentum and flow. Um, the performance Saturday was sublime. It was probably one of the best they've, I've seen from Leinster in the competition against a very strong Toulouse side that um, were really disappointing for me. Um, Leinster made them look really bad and it kind of showed um, the fitness levels, um, the cohesion, the, the, the probably the execution and the, and the ability to play under pressure and Toulouse really struggled with that. You know, Leinster's Lencer's rook speed was, I think, 42% of the time was under two seconds, which is, it's impossible to to get your defensive line set. And uh, they just look so comfortable, confident and connected in everything they're doing. So um, I don't think they have much to worry about. I think everything is falling into place perfectly for them. You know, if you go back a couple of weeks ago and see all the internationals that stayed home from South Africa, there was uh, criticism from some particularly in South Africa, that they were disrespecting the URC. And um, obviously the teams they sent out there got two losing bonus points, guaranteed them top place in the URC. So uh, the planning has been meticulous and it's working out perfect. You know, you go to Leicester and you you, you score 20, you're, you're 20 points up against the champions of England. It shows where Leinster are at, um, how good they are. 
and how controlled they are and the way they want to play and um, everybody seems to be on the same page so um, yeah they're firm favourites going to that final but you never know in a final I think um, everybody's thinking it's going to be a very very tall order, order for La Rochelle to stop them um, but knowing Rod he'll be he'll be trying to believe and trying to get his players right and um, they have the ability to probably mix it with Leinster um, but on the, on the basis of what we've seen, it's going to be very hard to stop them. That, that point you made uh, about the ruck speed, and I heard you make it in commentary on the radio on Saturday as well, is interesting because there's a parallel, obviously, between that from Leinster's perspective and, and what Ireland did in the Six Nations. Because I remember we did like a, a statistical piece midway through the Six Nations where Ireland were ranked number one for ruck speed, and I think France were number three. And obviously, despite that, Ireland did end up looking second best compared to France in the Six Nations. I know it's very different answer against who lose. It's not Ireland against France, but but did you notice any sort of differences that that made the ruck speed even more important in in the Champions Cup at the weekend compared to the Six Nations? It wasn't just the ruck. The ruck speed obviously is a huge advantage to him on and, and for any team. If, if the ball is coming back that quick, um, you can get the ball in your hands when you're outside that breakdown. You can run hard with it. You can make decisions. You can um, you can exploit the, the defensive uncertainty and, and of the opposition. So, But also I think the, the kicks really tactically well um, they didn't just uh, thump the ball out into the stands they kicked it long um, they forced Toulouse to come back and invited him to, to counter attack and Ramos and LaBelle got caught a few times and Leinster turned the ball over I think uh, so I think the difference between what we saw on Saturday and and, and in France was the French team obviously controlled the tempo of the game much better in Paris in that in that loss in, in back in the Six Nations, um, and that's what Toulouse were trying to do and hoping to do the other day. They're probably not; they don't look that comfortable with um, you know having to to keep the ball and play for long periods of time. They're very very dangerous and incredibly athletic side and. Lots of comparisons with with France, but France, France did it so much better in in Paris. They just they they struck when they had to at different moments, and then they frustrated Ireland. Um, Ireland obviously had that golden patch after half time where the ruck speed was really quick, and they scored two tries, and they got loads of width in their game, and it looked they they looked like they were going to come back and win the game. Um, I just think Leinster have got better and obviously seven of those forwards would, would have been playing for Ireland. Um, their carries, uh, dynamic carries, uh, guys running off the shoulder, the timing of, of holding up defenders, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just, they've taken it to another level and they're, they're playing with this high tempo and high speed that is very, very difficult to defend against. So um, if Will Skelton comes back for La Rochelle, um, you know, maybe he'll cause some problems. He's been out with, with a calf injury for a few weeks, and of course, La Rochelle have some very powerful forwards: uh, Antonio, Preso, Bougarit, the front row, very, very strong. Um, Piquet in the second row is is a very good player, but I just think they're lacking a small little bit of power that they had last year. Obviously, it's very hard to replace Skelton and Aldred and Beto and Liebenberg, very good back rowers, but just to get the overall performance and 
get to that level. Are you hearing any challenge go- for Larson? Are you hearing any gossip about Will Skelton from any well placed sources you might have? Anything? Any, um, any texts flying back and forth about Skelton? Maybe. I, I don't know if he's going to be back now. I was asking last, probably last week, would he make the semi final, and it was doubtful. Um, but there was a small chance, so maybe there's a better chance for Saturday week. But still, I don't know if if he's a different type of player, isn't he, Ger? He's he's uh, one of those guys. If he's not training, he he kind of puts on weight and maybe loses that bit of fitness. So you can't just risk putting a guy in if he's fit and 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 conditioned and doing loads of fitness work and conditioning um, with the injury away from the rugby fields, maybe, but. Um, I didn't. I didn't press it too much um, for this weekend, but I will during the week to see if he he will make it. But um, I think they'll probably be planning without him now at this stage. Um, but uh, Leinster, I don't know. Is it would it be positive if he's fit and 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 conditioned well? I think yeah. Obviously, he's such a great player, and he may cause Leinster problems. But it's kind of hard judging the two matches, isn't it? Because you have one where you have this brilliant performance and then the other where it's a dogfight. Mm. La Rochelle Racing, yes, it was a really poor game to watch at times. There was a lot of intensity and a lot of fight at the breakdown. And But semi-finals but like, are for winning, isn't that it? Like, and sometimes yeah, you- yeah, this is it. Yeah. And, and they'll probably be, Roger will probably be happy now that people are writing them off. And that's, um, But ultimately, they would have to get a lot right and really get into Leinster fa- Leinster's faces. And you, it's very hard to beat a team when they're getting that sort of rook speed. So the obvious one to, to do is try and slow their game down and and be really physical with them, go after their set piece. So that would probably be the the the, the goal for for La Rochelle. And they have some very good players. There's no doubt about it. Well, um, uh, we, one of the things that I definitely felt was in Leinster's favour this year against Toulouse was the fact that everybody was fit. Basically, they had a, largely a full deck to pick from that might not be the case for the final it's possible Ronan Kelleher is injured and isn't back it's possible James Lowe is injured it's possible Tyke Furlong is injured and all three of them will have doubts out over them at least over the next week and that's just the stuff that we know as opposed to the, the stuff actually in the change room where there are other bodies that are particularly bruised after that encounter that suddenly swings things back where uh, the set piece is absolutely not guaranteed where you don't have that left boot which was unbelievable in the game yesterday from Leinster I definitely felt like James Lowe was another contender for man of the match not to say that Johnny Sexton didn't deserve it because that was as good a performance from Sexton as we've seen in a long time um, so I, a lot can happen between now and kickoff to make the game more even and it's a cup final Leinster are 12 point favourites which seems a little bit ridiculous this early on I don't think it's ridiculous Ger. I think um <laughs> You know, they scored 80, 89 points, I think, against a week in Montpellier in, um, back in January. Any team that can score 89 points in Europe against any team, um, have to be contenders. And I think they've shown glimpses of, uh, in the early part. Well, they've shown their quality throughout the season, um, to be able to compete in both fronts. Um, really interestingly, and, and I didn't probably realize this. I knew Johnny Sexton hadn't played that many games this season, but, Ugo Mola, the Toulouse coach, is talking after the game saying, well, you've one player, um, they swapped jerseys, Sexton and, and Intimac. One player is 36, the other is 23. One player has played 20, started started 27 games this season and the other player has started 10, or 12, sorry, 12. Now, Johnny Sexton has been involved 15 times with Leinster, three, or 
15 games this season, two off the bench, I think, with, with Leinster and one off the bench with, with Ireland. Um, so he's been involved in 15 games into Mac and 27. So he was making the point, and it is, it is a fact. You know, La Rochelle have got to go and play next week. They're seventh in the, in the league. There's very little separating kind of three, four, five, six, seven in, in the top 14. They've got Stade Francais next weekend. They probably have, they have to win that game. So he's probably to put out a very, very strong side. Leinster can, can rest and, and, and uh, heal those bumps and bruises that maybe you're talking about because there's always a few. But obviously, if Kelleher, um, Furlong, and James Lowe weren't weren't going to play or weren't going to be involved, it would be massive loss to any team. But they have that strength and depth, don't they? And um, I think what swings it a little bit for La Rochelle is it's on in Marseille. Um, you know, there's probably 11 players of the 23. I think there is 11 players of the 23 who haven't been involved in the European final before for Leinster. So, um, will that be a factor? Um, the fact that it's on in Marseille, I don't think so. I think they're, they're just the rugby they're playing and the confidence they're showing um, looks like a really daunting proposition for La Rochelle. But going back to the very first question you asked me, you know, he'll, Roger will, will analyse them and uh, they'll try and come up with a structure and a plan and, they have some quality players, absolutely themselves. You know, they have the probably, and we saw just Ihaya uh, West missed uh, three easy kicks. If you're going to beat Leinster, if La Rochelle have any chance of beating Leinster, I think it's not going to be by ten or fifteen points. It's by if they were to get in that position for to make it a very tight game, it could come down to place kicks, and I think that's where it's a worry and a concern for for him as well. But um, he loved the fact that people are writing him off. <laughs> he probably be. On, I'm. I'm not completely writing him off, but uh, it'll it'll make him kind of tetchy and narky and. We're looking and forward to talking to him. Yeah, it will. It will. Like, look, I'm not sure he give much away. And look, the reality is, without without you know, we know how good Leinster are, and, and that performance at the weekend. It kind of, I think Toulouse were blown away by the ball and play time, uh, the power game of Leinster. The meters gained, yeah. The tactical kicking, everything. It all worked out. Nearly perfect, you yeah. know. And and you have to applaud right. him for that. All right, we got to go. Alan, good stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks, lads. Thirteen minutes past nine. HC says I don't buy Leinster being well rested. Last year was all about being undercooked as a weakness. This year it's their strength because they're winning. Both sides have their challenges to navigate. And MOC he spots a monster a monster plot here. Is Quinny piling more pressure on Leinster? by saying, ah, they can't lose, miles ahead of La Rochelle, hard to see how La Rochelle can win. It's a final, anything can happen, including crazy red cards. That would be, the main thing is red cards and self-inflicted injuries. That would be the main problem from Leicester's perspective. Yeah, but it does feel like there's going to be a red card given to a team in Europe at the moment. Leicester are almost like, very unlikely to get it. They have everything, including discipline, nailed down. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. To celebrate the fact we're bringing the football pod on the road, we're giving you the chance to win two tickets to join Tommy, Paddy and James O'Donoghue and special guests at the Royal Theatre in Castlebar. All you've got to do to give it a chance to win is tell us who this mystery GAA voice is. Jesus Christ, they don't even care about it properly. They're not giving it the respect. Comment with your answer on our live YouTube stream right now or tag us with your answer on Twitter at OffTheBallAM. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. Uh, inside Park Harrington's gaff at one o'clock. Harrington's crib. Splunk Sport at three. Mount Rushmore's Donegal at four. Donegal's Lucchini at six. It's Donegal special today on OTB Live tonight from seven with Joe and the rest of them. You can follow off the ball across our social platforms. Make sure you get the app. Anthony Moyles is next.
OTB AM. We'll do the hurling on tomorrow's show. Today we're doing Gaelic football. Anthony Moyles is with us. Uh, Owen said, I'm sorry for your trouble when you walked in and you went, I'm not happy. What, what has you? How, <laughs> how are you feeling? I'm not feeling good. Lie back on the couch here and reveal uh, all. I, I don't know if we've enough time. Honestly, we'll have to go for an extension. Uh, yeah. Where do I start? Uh, my wife was away for the weekend playing basketball, so I had my two uh, girls, seven and five, and I bigged up the game probably early doors last week, you know. Oh, you're living in Mead now. You used to live in Dublin, so what colour jerseys are they wearing? Oh, no, they're, yeah, they were wearing, yeah, one had an old uh, Manoli Holmes uh, that I signed for a niece of mine and got the whole team, so that was well-worn, shall we say. Oh, they were kitted out, they had the shorts, they had the hats, everything ro- rolling on. Uh, looking forward to it. One was a big sell. I had to, I had to promise her Plenty of uh, chocolate and various things, and hot dog at half time. So that was that's that's that that got me over the 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 hesitation, shall we say? Uh, because all she kept saying to me was, "Dad, the boys are going to get hammered. The the girls will win, but the boys won't." So. Turns out she knows more about football than we do. <laughs> I should have just stopped right there and cut the grass for the day. <laughs> but no, I uh, I pushed on and in we went. Surprisingly, little traffic. Uh, well, that's uh, in we went into the game and I got there. I said, I said I'll risk it. You know these things, Chair. There's a there's a short window of concentration. So uh, I said I get a bit of the Kildare Westmead game which I got a bit more of uh, than I expected. So anyway, the promise was, uh, went in, the atmosphere, and I know you guys have been talking about it, the Claire Westme game, you know, although it, like, it was actually five or six points in it, I, I, but it was just, it was done, you know. Um, never looked like Westmead were ever going to get the required scores to come back. Uh, and it was just this sense of inevitability, and let's not even go there on the Mead game. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, yeah, so anyway, the, I decided, listen, let's try get them going here. So the hot dog was asked, was requested very, very quickly. Uh, so I said, right, this is a bit risky. Will I try the hot dog before now or half time? Went downstairs. This is our national stadium, of course. So I thought, won't be an issue. You know, there's only whatever, 30 odd thousand people here. And it's not like this is a surprise. They were expecting 2,000. But there was uh, no hot food. Zero. No hot dogs. Hardly any chips. Uh, uh, out? Yeah. What? yeah. So I'm um, this young girl, not her fault, of course, about 15 years of age. And I said, no hot dogs. My two girls beside me, forlornly looking up at me with big puppy dog eyes. You promised. <laughs> I you promised. promised. I promised. So I got passed with a packet of wine gums and a packet of crisps. Right. Not, not too bad. And the promise was half time in the big game. We'll have one. Anyway, down five minutes before half time. Said I beat the beat the traffic, <laughs> get down early. No hot food whatsoever. I the, the plant based burgers, which were going for seven euros, by the way. The plant based burgers, even they were gone. So uh, not an absolute thing. I took a picture of it. Like I actually couldn't believe. It. I said to the girl, I said there is actually no hot food in this whole place. She's like, no, sorry, we're out of everything. I was like, that's amazing. I said, absolutely amazing. I said an ice cream. I said, we'll have an ice cream. The girls, ice cream. This was true out true to tears. Uh, no, we've no ice creams left. I was like, okay, what have you got? Pints of Guinness. <laughs> I died again. Nice. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Although I would have taken about 10 of them at that stage mm. because the stress levels were that high. Uh, so, needless to say, the day went from bad to worse. You've seen the Michael Douglas film Falling Down, have you? That's, yes, yeah. it was one of those moments. <laughs> you saying breakfast is over. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, it. it 
I just started thinking about the whole kind of thing. You know, I, I can't believe the GA and Crow Park, whoever has the contract, I, I'm just amazed that, you know, you go to our national stadium on a big, big day, 30-something thousand people, and you manage to run out of food uh, in the thing. Like, it wasn't, like, it's not, as I said, it wasn't like a surprise. What if there were 60,000 there, you know? Yeah, and I'm just kind of, you know, the atmosphere of the thing. Like, it, you were in there all, like, it was absolutely, like, uh, before, there was a minute silence, absolutely perfect, uh, yeah, fine, 100%, then you have your, you cl- there was actually a bit of applause, and then you go straight into the National Anthem, and there was not even, I used to kind of give out about this loud music being pumped over the tannoy, but there was absolutely nothing, it was so dead, it was so dead, it was like being at a morgue, um, and there was this air of inevitability about the game as soon as it started, like, I looked down at the two girls, and I have to say, I felt sorry for them. I felt sorry for kids around me, Dublin and Mead kids, you know, that it was just, this is something you're being dragged to by your parents for four hours, and it is zero fun. It is nothing. There's nothing on display. Uh, there's nothing going on. There's nothing at half time to get enthused about. There's no sense of spectacle, no sense of atmosphere, um, and it's expensive. You know, like we got two little punnets of chips eventually because I stayed down for about 10 minutes after. And eventually, they must have got the deep frat fryer going and threw in the old McCain chips. And I think there were five euros a punnet. Like, you know, for people going out with a clatter of kids, it's an expensive day out. Um, and then even ordering the tickets, I had to pay three adult tickets because I wanted to sit in the, the, the Hogan. Um, and the only tickets that you can buy online with family are in the Davin. Right. So you can't actually separate it out. So anyway, that was 90 euro. Now, not that it's a massive deal, but like you're just kind of going, like literally from the start, you're saying, come on, we can do this better. Surely we can do this better. You'd think so. We could have had the games. I, I was saying home and away. So that game's in Navin, uh, and the other game is in Mullingar, Athlone wherever, uh, like somewhere, right, where there's an opportunity for there to be an atmosphere and a bit of a home thing and local support. But instead it's in Croker. I don't know. Obviously, they feel like they need to get Croker back up and running after COVID. But it didn't make any sense, particularly because earlier in the year they'd said that maybe those games won't be. And that gave us all a little bit of hope that some progression had come into the thinking. And Yeah, and like if, if you're talking about... So I, I'm 100% behind you on that front. And I know we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago about saying, right, take it out of Croker, pack a couple of places. Because there is something magical about going to, you know, a provincial town, it being kind of shut down for the day and an, an unbelievable atmosphere with fifteen or 20,000 people in it or whatever it is. Um, Crow Park is lost. So you can hear the players. Like, you can hear them roaring at each other. You can hear... There was a particular individual who obviously was on it early behind me, way up the side, and you could hear him roaring at different things. And it's just like there's cursing going on. There's just like I mean, and you're just kind of going, "This is just absolute disaster zone." But as I say, the fact of the matter is, this 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 thing of you know, like I I feel for me, I feel for lots of teams in 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 Leinster because you're coming up against the juggernaut that is Dublin, right? Um, there are there before the grace of God. A lot of other counties don't come up against them every single year, yeah. right? And this is doing Mead, Kildare, whoever else that meets them, absolutely zero good. It's doing the counties zero good. It's doing Leinster zero good. But the so players this, all want to play games in Croke Park. Correct, it's but their this, dream exactly. So this idea, but this idea of oh well, we we have to hold on to the provincials because you know the history and all that. This is killing football. 
It's absolutely killing football. And it's killing... Like, if I was a kid there and I'm 7 or 10 or 15 or 12, and I, look, I mean, a good pal of mine was there with his young lads. They played with Dunsany. Good, 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 really good players. I'm kind of looking at them. They're looking out at their heroes getting an absolute whooping, right? And this is not the first time. And they're kind of saying to themselves, well, you know what? I play a bit of basketball and I play... I do swimming or I do athletics. And, you know, is this what I'm aspiring to out here? You know, and I'm saying to the girls driving home, listen, the supporters is about being there in the good days and the bad days, all that kind of stuff. But it's, it's doing... It's not doing the sport any good at all. Now, that's not to say that, you know, Dublin have to do what they have to do and Mead were pretty abject on the day um, and we can get into that again but at the same time it is doing as I said the sport absolutely no good it's doing the counties no good because like I thought Mead were advancing a bit after last year and I'm saying there's a lot of good work being done there's a lot of good work being in the county but where does that put you now like imagine you're there given seven nights of your of your free time in, 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 in the assistance of Mead football and then this is the fruits of the labour that you see after three or four years whether you're at the under 16s the minors the 20s this is what you're looking at and you're just kind of going oh my god Like I was, we were chatting on Friday Nigel Crawford was, was, was on the thing and he was telling me his, his, his young lad Nigel lives up in um, Ratfarnham his, his lad plays with I think Bally Bowden he's under 10 I think or under 11s there were six teams so he was one of three teams playing on one pitch and there was another three teams playing on another. So there was six teams of under 10 or under 12s. That's six 15s with substitutes at that age. So, like, that is the reality. That's one club team which has a pick of about 70 or 80 kids. You know, sorry, more. You know, coming through. And you're in a situation, like, I mean, that even even big, big clubs in me, the Ratotes, the Dunhamore Ashburns, the Dunshocklands, the Navin O'Mahony's, the Simonstowns, they might only have one team, maybe maximum two teams at that age. So you have six versus two. So, like, the odds are you're going to get more talent from the six. Can I just make a point on that as well? And to look at it from the complete opposite perspective on that, Anthony, which kind of backs up your point about the whole promotion of the games. So I was just kind of thinking about this over the last couple of days. If you look at Gaelic football as like this marketable thing, who are your biggest stars in Gaelic football? Let's say Dublin's biggest star right now is Brian Fenton or Con O'Callaghan, the most marketable people for one of the more marketable counties. And you've got a five and a half month window with which to use these people between the start of February and the middle of July now, let's not forget. You look to go back and if you look at the window between, I think it was the 25th of March when they got relegated by Monaghan and the 25th of June when they will play an All-Ireland quarter final. They will have played a game of no consequence. Now maybe because they will put it up against them in the Leinster final. A game of zero consequence. The weather's been good. The hurlers are getting great exposure. They'll have played a Leinster championship in that window. Mm-hmm. To hammer that home even more, David Clifford, the most marketable person in Munster right now, he'll have played two games in 12 weeks between the league final and an All-Ireland quarter final against Cork and against Limerick. Like, this is just such a waste of time. They've got this massive tranche of, of, of weeks going by where these lads are playing A versus B games in training. Like, Brian Fenton is playing against Tom Lahiff behind closed doors more than he's playing against any other top midfielder in the country. David Clifford is being marked by Tom O'Sullivan if it more than he's being marked by any top defender. If it wasn't for Super Value pushing Clifford and O'Hara into the public domain last week, we wouldn't have heard anything or thought about David Clifford, really. It would have I missed the league. I, I missed the, the pissing rain in Tralee watching um, these, these games. Like, yeah. Well, you miss, you, miss, you miss the standard. You miss the competition. 
at a required level and at a requisite level of where you are. And that's all that you're looking for. That's why, that's why every single pretty much sport in the world has divisions. Like, I mean, you are at this level. Yes, the we're GA at this levels. level. Well, the exactly. at a club yeah. level. Exactly. They, they understand. That, right. like, people would stop coming to the clubs if the, if the competition was as bad as the senior intercounty competition. They would stop going. They would have no interest in it. Of course they would. Absolutely. And, they, and, and why do people keep going in the clubs? Because there's always a feeling that we that particular year we're yeah. going to do it. We've got Jimmy in, who's the new manager, or the yeah. young lad has come up and he's, he's kicking the lights out. Whatever, there's always hope. playing teams of a similar standard. Yesterday, for me, the hope was literally... Whatever hope was there, it was extinguished, and it was absolutely extinguished. And I'm I'm genuinely worried about like I I don't think Kildare. I I hope they do. I genuinely hope they do put up a fight. But I, I'm scared at what could happen there uh, because Dublin are look, we've we've look, we've spoken about this till the cows come home during the league. They've never gone away. No. Last year was an absolute blip. It was it was a misnomer. Like I mean, they are there. Even then, they nearly got into the All Ireland final. Like, yeah, exactly. And by the way, last year could have been a sup to kind of say, "Listen, lads, we might get we might, <laughs> the county might get split up. We might give an All Ireland to someone because we're going to win the next ten anyway." Like genuinely, Bar Kerry, literally Bar Kerry, because I didn't. I, I was a little bit disappointed with Derry, and again, we can get into that yesterday. Um, like they're just light years ahead, and it's a numbers game. It is a numbers game at the end of the day. Um, and when I give that a pure example of six teams of 15, so that's 90, and then you throw in whatever else you've got. Um, is that 90? Yeah, it is. Um, is so there a possibility they're not playing 15 aside? Because I know our under 10s, under 11s, are actually n- they're more nine aside tens well, like even if but whatever yeah. there's still yeah. eighty or ninety kids yeah. uh, you know relative but and that's just one year it's not actually correct twelve yeah be, uh, they'll have an under tens elevens and twelves it's 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 you know I I think the GEA whether it's the lack of hot dogs at halftime right or whether it's the Talton Cup this idea of splitting it north south like come on seriously. You know, it's not like we're living in America. We're not living on a landmass that it takes you 55 hours to go from one end to the other. Get on a bus, drive an extra bit of an hour on the bus and get to where you need to go. Like if I was the northern teams, I'd be saying, well, Ulster's probably meant to be one of the, the strongest provincials. And yet now you're sticking us in the same thing and you're going to wither us away. Yeah. Let us play some of the lads down south. We want to play the teams in Munster. We want to play the teams in Leinster. But actually, no, no, lads, you can have it again. You can do your Ulster championship again and see how you get on. Um, like like that again for me is a kind of a thing of you had an opportunity to do something and you managed to put a, a little subline in there somewhere which kind of caught ever like I heard Tommaso Shea last week it's 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 it has they weren't uh, sure if they were north or south they obviously would have depended on the number of teams um, who came through so like yeah anyway uh, this one, ranting let me let me <laughs> uh, this this might provoke another rant from you Shane says Anthony Meath football is in a shambles they have regressed in the past ten years due to poor management at board and county level it's of Meath's own doing. Oh yeah, um, like if 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 the company is you know to bring a business sense in this, the company is continually making a loss, and uh, you can't get any kind of decent results. You would have to say, let's have a look at the board and the executive, right? Yeah, that's it. The employees will come and go, um, which it is. The playing, the playing 
employees and the guys who were out there will come and go. Um, there was some success, and has been some success in the last number of years um, with minors and under 20s. Uh, the transition of it into the senior team, it was looked at because I know I was given out about this last year whereby, you know, fellas were playing to kind of under 17 and then they were kind of being just let back to their club. So there has been a, 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 a pathway developed which has kept them true to hopefully developing them into the senior team. Um I think does it need a major overhaul there have been they have been trying to make major overhauls I know they're in the process of making major overhauls and these things just don't change overnight um, I do think part of it is chicken and egg where uh, really good people who would like to get involved don't get involved because they see the game is stacked and so therefore you know and, and that's not to say that the county doesn't deserve to take some of the blame for what's happened there is a big population of me there's a big population in Kildare Kildare mm. have eventually gotten some of their house in order and they're getting more of their house in order and they seem to have more of the right people involved now and maybe that's about to happen in me too I don't know but uh, they need to take some responsibility for what happened but the game is rigged and so therefore a lot of people who would be interested in getting involved a lot of corporates who would be interested in spending yeah. money are yeah. like well what do we get we get hammered by the dubs the game is rigged but but to, to counteract that, because it something you know things will just change; they stay the same unless you, you change them, right? So, so you have to you have to first of all, if you're going to a corporate to try and bring them on, you have to obviously you know uh, realize the elephant in the room, which is Dublin, right? There you are, the you know the the big boy. So you have to say, listen. Yes, there is that potential of every single time in Leinster. But I tell you what, we're going to do. We are trying to make incremental changes here, here, here. These are our these are our key performance indicators. You want to use all that old speak, right? These are the things that we're trying to get. And even so far as that you're then trying to pull people in because you're giving them a vision of, of 10 years or whatever it is. And I know that's people can throw that out. But I think I, I, I'd say I'll go back 10 years and I was talking about the same thing. So we could be 10 years hence now, by the way. Um, could there be like even when you look at the at, at the performance yesterday? I'm sure the management team yesterday had certain things because if you get caught up in the result of a big game and the result playing against Dublin, you're you're nine times ninety nine percent of the way of your, you're going to have a failure, right? So the day is going to seem like a failure to you if you do not win. But yet, if you're like Cork versus Kerry a couple of weeks ago, they'll say to themselves, right, we've been written off here completely. Like, no one's given us an opportunity. So what we're going to do is we have areas that we need to look at. We have tackle rate in the first half, turnover, and many times we keep them down to a certain amount of shots. We look at how many times we can turn the ball over, how many kickouts we win, whatever those little statistics are in each game. And then you go and you try to execute... Where are Cork now? Cork are probably saying to themselves, actually, you know what? This is something we can build on. Like, I mean, teams have been themselves. Could we get the 60 minutes next year against Kerry? And in two or three years' time, can we get the 70 minutes against Kerry and actually really start to... That's, that's their... So they're, they're looking ahead. Me, I think, after yesterday, are probably looking backwards now saying, well, where are we again? That question mark over, where are we? Everyone will say it. Who, who's to blame? Well, everyone is to blame. Yeah. You know, I'm to blame. Like, I mean, literally everyone is to blame. No one is no one is, is shy of, of failure in this. And, bla- and blaming, say, Andy McEntee or the management team or indeed the players, it, it's, you know... Yes, there's some players who hid yesterday. Yes, there's some players who who looked, I think, at that Dublin team, and it was kind of a la the Mike Tyson situation. That 
as soon as Tyson used to walk into the ring fellas used to nearly just fall over because they were like I'm bet and you last know? year was supposed to be the end of that like that was the whole point and the league was supposed to be the beginning of uh, the end of this but actually like we were saying earlier their generational players look lean and fit and hungry and rested in some instances and ready to go like mad for road again to uh, remind us all that they were the greatest team of all time and that just because some of them are gone they're still here mad so, for road yeah Um the the power rankings obviously uh, are are Dublin ahead of Kerry in your head now, right, like the All Ireland finals tomorrow. Everybody we think is available fit for both teams. Who are favourites? Oh, it's it's it's, phew. it's very tight. It's very tight. Like it's it's massively come in, and what's come in is. I think I think Mead butchered a couple of chances that they had. Uh, I thought they could have been a bit more expansive. I was I actually got a decent enough view of the game where it was, and and there were there were runs being made, and there was a couple of times where it was one on one or two on two in the full forward line, and the fellas just didn't receive the ball. They Desi has obviously decided. You know what? I I can trust Mick Fitzsimons. Um, with my life in the sense of against one-on-one situations and if you remember remember Morris's chance in the first half where he kind of ended up just dribbling it wide he slipped first of all when he initially got the ball but Fitzsimons' defending was absolutely brilliant he stayed in his feet he pushed him out to his right foot because he knew he was predominantly left-footed um, so when you have players and when you have the belief in that you're happy enough to do that and it obviously means that they can push more forward they were scoring at will yesterday like pretty much you know, I don't think a Mead lad got a got a, got a got a hit on. So that's again chicken and eggs type situation, Jerry. Was it because they had just so much fluidity in that forward line, fellas running a pace off angles, able to put balls into the spaces that they want, really intensive running, like savagely, like Coslo had an unbelievable game yesterday. Every time he got the ball, he just thought, right, I'm taking you on and I'm going for it. There's a chance he's peaking, like he, because there he's is. been around for so long. He, he burst on the scene as a teenager and never quite got to the point where he was going to be the star. But now there's a chance he's the star and actually at 28 we might be about to see the best of him as well like, yeah you could be like again you know and I, I caveat all of this with you know the fear thing is a big thing right the fear thing is a big thing and I've talked about the Mike Tyson thing and Mead aren't alone in this and, and Kildare to have an opportunity against Dublin can't have that they have to decide like if I'm a cornerback and I'm Mark and Costello I'm standing in front of Costello I'm saying, listen, if you want that ball, you're going to have to get out by me and do everything you can to get that. I'm just taking up, I'm taking a chance. I might get caught a couple of times in behind, but I'm actually showing, and I'm, I'm even in my own psychology, in my own head, I'm saying that I'm, I'm willing to take this, this chance against you. Because, like, standing behind, trying to hope that you get balls off them, yeah, trying to hope that it's not going to happen. I mean, there's a chance that Kildare scored. 216 against the Dubs but there's a chance the Dubs score 424 in the same game and it's like a crazy shootout we'll come back to yeah. that because we have a couple of weeks yeah. but um, we've got about a minute left here we've, Derry and the job that's been happening over the last couple of years yeah. they're going to they're going to be licking their chops ahead of the, the Ulster final so there's room for improvement it sounds like you think uh, yeah I think there is room for improvement I thought Monaghan Monaghan will probably leave that game uh, feeling oh what what you know the first half I thought they kicked in a lot of bad wides Monaghan now they were under pressure Derry have an unbelievably strong defensive system passing players on keeping a core amount of players in the right area um, fellas with different matchups they don't get caught um, they have two unbelievable generals in there with McKay and Rogers right so like McKay is like listen give me anyone I look after and the communication that they have Lynch steps up as the goalkeeper and directs an awful lot of stuff so they keep you out of that exclusion zone and they say listen if you're going to kick them you're kicking them from way out and 
it do, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. And there was a kind of writing on the wall early in the game when McManus kicked one, if you remember, right, that he would yeah. normally get, and yeah. he just kind of pulled it. You're kind of saying, uh. But they weren't. Monaghan showed a way, though, I think, of defending against them, uh, which other teams, and probably Donegal will certainly say, okay, this is, this is an area where we can hurt them. Because I thought they got lucky a couple of times in, in some of the opportunities. They still deserve to win it. Um, but when they got to within three, Monaghan still had the pressure on. They kicked a couple of bad wides and then they got caught badly just for, 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 for the next goal. Um, they're moving well. And I think, as I said, with Glass, like Glass was imperious yesterday. Absolutely. Like just constantly moving, like perpetual motion. Very, very strong around the middle of the field. McKinnis had, didn't have as good a game as he had in the, the last day out. But they've a very, very, very strong spine. And they've got a, a savage amount of pace on the wings. Is there something about this Roy Gallagher bounce that is oddly reminiscent of Jim McGuinness in 2012? Like, obviously, there's a connection with him and, and Jim McGuinness, but it kind of feels like the game plan they have is kind of uh, kryptonite for a lot of teams in Ulster. It, ju- it just feels like, again, this is me getting completely carried away with just the raw emotion of Gallagher for two of the three goals yesterday. I'm just, I'm just looking at like this momentum. I'm like, could this thing carry them all the way? Yeah, well, there's probably half of that. It probably was himself and uh, uh, Banty's probably passed. So I'd say there was a bit of that jumping around, you know, just to kind of say, right, well, I'm I'm really sticking it to you here. Um, he has been, he, he has embowed them with an unbelievable amount of confidence and belief, right? And he is that type of, of, of an individual, I'd say, in the sense of we are, you know, we're building the platform and we're giving you the structure and the strategy and if you just do what you, what what we're meant to do we will get there obviously it's taken a while but they they can see forward momentum all the time so when we go back to those things that you want in a game although you might get bet what do we want to achieve they're doing all of those things on so the belief is there between the players between the management um, and they're heading to the North Star and like I mean they will deserve it because they've had some they've had some serious games to get there they're battle hardened um, they're not you being know. chumps you know no absolutely no. Not. All right, we got to go for today. There'll be more, obviously, from uh, the lads on the football pod that will drop at 6 a.m. tomorrow. OTBAM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Our mystery voice was Kerry legend Tomas O'Shea. Uh, so Patrick Garrity correctly identified that, and he wins two tickets to see Tommy Rooney, Paddy Andrews, and James O'Donoghue at the Royal Theatre Castle Bar for the first ever football pod live. We're back tomorrow from half seven. We'll have Sarah Donovan, Ireland International Louise Quinn, Premier League, and PJ Championship chat with Nathan and much more as well. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.